in the grand tradition of our blockbuster events, Crisis Till Death and Death Till Wedding, the podcast returns to the Triangle Era for the infamous Electric Superman saga, Grant Morrison's legendary JLA, and Superman's TV depictions on the animated series and Lois and Clark. This is Electric Till One Million, a new eight-part epic covering 1997 through 1999. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. This is Electric Till One Million, Part 3. Joining me to discuss the legendary character Tempest from Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, is the host of Lois and Clark, The New Podcast of Superman, and a first-time guest on the show, Matt Truix. Matt, welcome. I, I am so glad to be here. Just the, the fact that you say legendary and Tempest in the same context means that I'm, I'm amongst friends, and that, that means a lot. Absolutely. I have so been excited to do this. We've touched on Lois and Clark here and there over the life of this podcast. The last time mm-hmm. we did one of these big triangle era events, we did an episode looking at the infamous, notorious frog eating clone arc. And we also talked a lot about the Lois and Clark relationship generally. So it wasn't all about the frog yeah. eating clones, but we spent a lot of time on that. <laughs> oh, gee, why? Is there a lot to discuss? I don't understand. <laughs> But I thought we have to check in with Lois and Clark one more time as we do this Triangle Era event where we're covering 97 through 99. Obviously, Lois and Clark is in its final season uh, during this period. But the character of Tempest, portrayed by Lane Davies, appeared over five episodes between seasons two and four. And three of those appearances came in season four. So I thought it would be cool to check in with Lois and Clark via this character and kind of get a snapshot of the series through the appearances of Tempest over the course of the show. So that's that's kind of how we landed on this. I, I think that's really fair. I think Tempest becomes kind of emblematic of the types of swings the show will take. Um, I don't think you get to Frog Eating Clones without Tempest going well and then them in them, the writers feeling emboldened and trying to recapture that as it goes on too various degrees. I think that's fair. And as much as certainly Tempest is our focus, I I really want to pick your brain because you very recently completed your Lois and Clark rewatch podcast. Yes. So first of all, congratulations on that because that's quite an achievement. (laughs) Well, thankfully for me, like there is an end in sight, you know, like there's part of me that's like, thank God they didn't go five years. But, um, but what's more impressive to me is, uh, well, you know, our mutual friend, Zach Moore, who's who's got twice that and more going. And then you, although I, I imagine there's something kind of freeing in your podcast where, like, you could kind of call it quits at any time. Like, this can be whatever you want it to be. Like, is, is that kind of where you are with it? Or is there is is there a plan? Well, there is a plan. I always have a plan, but you're right. I could I could do anything I want with this show, but I'm also because I just Matt, there's just not there's no limit, I think, to the amount of Superman that I'm I'm willing to talk about because I'm also Anthony, tell me about it. Yeah. I'm also early on in a George Reeves Adventures of Superman rewatch podcast. Yes. So that one, there is a commitment. Now, I could always say, all right, I'm only doing the black and white seasons, but I've, I've committed. I'm going to do the whole series, but those are only 20 minutes each, but there are just over a hundred of them. So, you know, I just did episode 13. So it's like, we've got a way that's to go. That's a whole other Lois and Clark, like in the middle of you. Like, that's so impressive, dude. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so much fun and a different beast because they're not, there's no ongoing narrative 
And even in the, the first yes. season in particular, yeah. the episodes aired out of order. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, they're really more these standalone pieces. And so it's, it's not quite as daunting, but I'm so in awe of what you were able to do with Lois and Clark. And and not that I'm asking you to like rehash your entire experience with it, but I'm just I'm curious. Please sum it up. <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm just so curious what, I don't know, the, the big picture takeaways were as, as, or I don't know, put it more specifically, just your overall view of the show and what it meant to you and how it evolved. Sure. Like how okay. is that different now than before you started that rewatch? So it, it was my introduction, um, ostensibly to Superman. Like I, I, I remember I was always a Batman fan. Like I'm a 1990 baby. So like I grew up where there was every flavor of Batman you could ever possibly want, you know, like I was just, I was born in it. Um, but then like Superman, I just saw as like, he'd pop up in pictures of Batman from time to time. And my dad would be like, Oh, they're friends. I'm like, Oh, sure. Superman's fine. Um, it wasn't until like, I literally got, a Burger King toy um, that was a part of their campaign for the animated series. And I got it on vacation and it was like the only thing I had to play with, you know, like that vacation. So I just asked my parents like, what is the deal with Superman? And they kind of gave me the whole rundown. And when I got home, they're like, Oh, you know what's on reruns that you might actually like is the Superman child, Lois and Clark. And, and there it goes. It, so it was my introduction to it. I loved it. Um, I loved I loved every second of it as a kid. Uh, as I got older and you know went through school for screenwriting and blah blah blah, I just like kept it was in the back of my head, and I'd rewatch it from time to time and be like, "What? Who made these decisions? You know, like how did this happen on a major network? You know, like it was just everything about it just seemed daffy and crazy and 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 bold, but also like how did they get four seasons out of it? You know, like this is impressive. So when it came that you know the the podcast bug bit me uh, i started with a co-host who had never seen the show before um and then he rightfully bowed out in early season three for for personal reasons but at the same time i'm like yeah I, you know you're going through stuff you don't need to be forced to watch this crazy Superman show and then i kept on with it but um what it means to me now is this relic that i don't think we will see the like of again uh it was a time where, uh, you know, ar- arguably Superman was as popular and as unpopular as he's ever been all at the same time. You know, like there was no big movie, but also the death of, you know, like comics were doing well. Um, and, you know, it's all in the backdrop of the comics 90s boom and whatnot. But then they tried to adapt the show for uh, an audience of not necessarily comic book fans, I think. I think it was for kids and for... uh at women mostly at the time, which was kind of an untapped comic book market. And I don't, I'm, I'm generalizing the hell out of this. So please like, don't take that the wrong way, but it is, it is a romance first and foremost. So coming away from it, I think it's incredibly cool as, as a relic of television. It's still my favorite Superman, anything. And I, for me, it makes the Superman story. It's, it's the reason for me that Superman story is a two hander. It, doesn't really get good for me until Lois is a key part of it. And um, uh, for that, I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful. Awesome. No, well said. No, it's very interesting to get your take on it, especially having just gone through all of it again. And 
Well, it's funny when you mention your co-host. So I did a <laughs> Patreon event with my wife last year where we watched the first season and then we talked about it, not episode by episode, but we did basically four podcast episodes covering sure. the first season. And I think she enjoyed it well enough, but I've not been able to get her to do season two yet. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, I'm, still, I'm still working on that. But I really, it, it's one of those things where I think our experiences are probably kind of similar in a sense where, you know, I had a lot of fondness for it as a kid and a lot of nostalgia mm -hmm. for it, but also as my tastes evolved and as I got older and I saw so much else, you know, I kind of looked back on it, maybe kind of like yourself after going through, you know, your screenwriting classes and looking back on it and being like, eh, you know, I don't know how well it would really what hold up. What the hell? Yeah. Basically. And in rewatching that first season with my wife for the Patreon thing and in rewatching all the frog eating clone stuff that we talked about on this show, yes, there are definitely those instances where I, I ask those very questions. What were they thinking? Who signed off on this? Could they not have mm -hmm. come up with something else? But at the same time, I'm so grateful that this kind of Superman story exists. And is it the Agreed. sort of thing, if I could only have one Superman adaptation, is this the one that I would want? No. Well, obviously, my heart is always on with Smallville, as I talk about almost every episode. <laughs> but, but I'm so glad that we have this. For, like you said, the fact that we get this such a strong focus on the two of them. And I think that and I've said this in a similar respect uh, pertaining to Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves show, but the mm -hmm. constraints, you know, constraints make the artist. And so, yeah, they were limited in what they could do, but I think that forced them to focus more on on the character. I mean, there's so, like, there's totally. so much great interaction <clears throat> among all the characters, but especially the two of them. And I, I have said, and I will continue to say, I don't know that we've seen a Lois and Clark actors playing Lois and Clark with better chemistry than that. We've seen others yeah. come close, but not like this. That was the interesting thing about doing the podcast. One of the interesting things was, um, you know, I got to meet a lot of fans um, and have them on over the years. Um, Christine Bartolucci and uh, 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 Laurie Ann Collins jumped to mind right now where like they weren't comic book fans, but they were, they were like totally enthralled by those actors chemistry and were like, and I was just like, so like, do you care about Superman anymore? It's like, no, it was about them. I would watch them play anyone as long as they had this chemistry. I'm like, I get it. You know, like I totally understand it. So in that way, it I, I it was very, I think, approachable to a non, you know, genre audience necessarily. And then that's 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 very interesting too, as as you know, as these movies are now the height of, of pop culture, you know, like we, we're having our moment. We're about to go the way of Westerns in like another five or six years, you know, but like as, as comic book nerds, we're having our moment, but um, uh, you know, they, they've kind of cracked the code in that way. But before this, it was nerdy and dumb and uh, you know, like uh, Superman, what do you like Star Trek to, you know, like all that kind of like all the, the bull that goes into that, but like this, that show made it kind of approachable and that's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I was going to use my mom as an example, but she's actually also been watching Superman and Lois, and she watched some of the George Reeves show. When she, so <laughs> maybe not the best example, but she what she watched the most of was Lois and Clark. Like she knows, mm -hmm. and even when I was doing those episodes or that episode on the frog eating clone stuff, boy, she remembered that <laughs> not fondly, but she remembered that. <laughs> I've got I've got my mother guesting on two episodes of the podcast because she and I would watch it. You know, it was in reruns on TNT in the mornings, and we'd tape it and watch like the first five minutes before school, and then watch it that night. And I have these great fond memories of it. And like, she's like, 
yeah, it was kind of dumb. Why, what was with the frog thing? I'm like, oh, so we had we had different interactions then with the show. That's fine. That's fine. <laughs> well, that you mentioned TNT, that was that was very critical for me as well with the show. So uh, mm-hmm. I was born in '87, so a few years on you. So I I have some memories of watching it when it was first on, but again, I'm a I'm six to ten when it's initially airing. Right. So I, I don't think I saw all the episodes, and I definitely don't have as vivid a memory. And I wouldn't have. I'm sure, there's a lot that just went right over my head. But when they started airing on TNT, so this was now late elementary school for me, that's when I really watched this in earnest. Um, and now I've been delving back into it more again for these podcast episodes. And it's 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 really been such a treat. Uh, I guess one other big picture question before we get more into the tempest of it all is just in terms of the evolution of the show, I mean, I'm not breaking any new ground here in, in that uh, there definitely was a shift uh, after season one going into season two, change in showrunner. Right. I didn't notice. No, really? <laughs> it was very subtle. Oh. You know, very subtle, very subtle. But we should do the podcast again. <laughs> but of course, we have the changing out of actors playing Jimmy Olsen. We lose Cat Grant. We lose John <laughs> Che as Lex Luthor. We get more more of an emphasis on the Superman action. I would say, for better or worse, <laughs> your mileage on mm-hmm. that may vary. But as far as the the, and then certainly even even that aside, the relationship between the characters evolves so much over the course of the mm-hmm. show, especially when she's in on the secret. They're engaged. They're married. I mean, we really see that progression. So I'm just curious what your take is just generally on that evolution. And do you have a favorite era of the show or period in their relationship? Maybe totally. more specifically. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I kind of did this. Um, I wrote this out for um, our mutual uh, friend, Ed Gross's book coming out um, the, the oral history that he's working on. And then I, I went through this in the the final episode of Lois and Clark much more eloquently than I'm about to do. But um, for me, like season one is is just the classic. Every, everyone's where they're supposed to be and acting the way they're supposed to be, and, and it, it's just got a bit of a more um, a bit more of a focus on the relationship, like the starting of a romance. You know, the the first act of a rom com, essentially. Um, season two, they start getting a little uh, bolder. They start. It, it, the thing with the show is they couldn't do the big super feats all the time, but I think they chose their moments where they could and gave it their honest effort. And yes, sometimes it looks like community theater, but it's still cool that they try it, you know, like, but they start that in season two towards the end of season two, we get Tempest, which I I really do think is their first giant swing of like, how weird can we get? Um, And then that's also kind of the end of the first era of the show where she doesn't know. And, Arguably end of season two, but really the first scene of season three starts with her knowing and then kind of all bets are off and it's a race to the altar for the next season or so um, while while their world just gets while the focus on the relationship gets more realistic um, and more nuanced, the outside world gets stranger and stranger, which is something I love about about DC in general. Um, and it, 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 you know, I, I've got verisimilitude in my head right now from <laughs> Richard Donner, but, um, the, the idea of like, take the characters as seriously as possible, do not take their world that seriously. And that is totally what the show does that I always really responded to. Um, season four, they get married season four. They admittedly run out of gas. Like the, the, it's not clicking, uh, anymore as much. There are some great nuggets in season four, but the show really does peter out at the end and and kind of dies a, a you know, 
deserved death at that point with a cliffhanger, unfortunately. But but yeah, th- I think those are the the errors for me. It's like goes from classic to when they really get into the relationship stuff um, of her knowing of them trying to figure it out. Like I always say my favorite era of the show is like this six or seven episode gap between her knowing and them trying to get married from, to frog, frog eating clones when it's just like, they're essentially dating and trying to figure out this new dynamic. And I could have watched eight seasons of that. Like that is so fascinating to me. I will co-sign on that. I think that's the sweet yeah. spot for the show. There's a lot that I enjoy before and a lot after, but I agree that for me too is definitely my favorite my favorite period, my favorite stretch in, in all of mm-hmm. this for sure. And uh, one thing that uh, I guess one other uh, big picture question, uh, as far as the comics and especially again, this event that we're doing, we're looking at the triangle era comics and we're in the late nineties. Were, were you reading? Have you gone back and read? Are you familiar with this stuff? I, I, you know, I read death of, you know, world without and, and return and all that. Uh, I haven't read much beyond that from this era. Um, it, it, in fact, it's it's kind of a big question I had coming in to this with you, not necessarily about this era, but kind of how it relates to the comics in general. But um, no, be, beyond the the big milestone stuff and, you know, you're speeding bullets or whatever. Um, and no, I haven't read much from this era. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I bring it up because, again, and I'm thinking about all of this as I'm, and just for context, so the stretch that we're reading now in the Triangle era, uh, a reread for me because this is what I came up with back in the 90s, <laughs> but this is the Electric Superman era, which okay. again, even if you haven't read, I'm sure you've I know heard what of this and is. seen yeah, it. Yeah, to be clear. And it's, it's one of those things where, like you say, they as far as pulling in comic book elements and uh, and, and just the spectacle of it all, you know, I, I would not have expected them to even attempt to touch something along the lines of Electric Superman. Yeah. I can't even imagine how something like that would be realized uh, on screen on that show it at that time. It would not have been good. Yeah, no. But... I will say that, and I've said this ad nauseum because it's, I think it's the most sort of the most relevant piece of the triangle era for all of the big events and everything. I always come back to the supporting cast. And I really think that was, that was what made that entire stretch of comics in the nineties work as well as it did. That's why the death of Superman, which was how I got into comics and and Mm. funeral for friend and all of that worked so well because you had built out this world of Metropolis and all the supporting mm-hmm. players, starting with the core cast of the Daily Planet, but beyond that as well, Professor Hamilton. And of course, we got the version of that with Dr. Bibbo. Klein at Bibbo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we got a version of Bibbo on, a, I remember that when I did my rewatch. <laughs> we, yeah. we got a Bibbo, yeah. <laughs> a Bibbo, you know. <laughs> but, but that's the thing. I think it really, the, the, the Triangle Era comics, I think, really gave you a good sense of the world of Metropolis uh, centered around the supporting cast. And I think that's mm-hmm. what, where this show excels as well. That's where I, I feel I see the most kind of similarity. And and of course, hand in hand with that, the fact that in both in both instances, in the comics and the show, we're getting the first real meaningful, sustained exploration of the Lois and Clark relationship. Yes. More more or less coinciding with each other. You know, like that that's that's very interesting to me. And in in a reason why I say like, yes, the comics were doing it at the same time, but I'm like this show was kind of breaking new ground in that as it was going along. Um, certainly in multimedia, but, but in a sustained way along with the comics at that same time, like that, that's really interesting to me. And, and something where like, yeah, I think a lot of Superman fans might scoff at the show. And to most extent, I really do understand it, but 
there there was something going on here that was adding to the fabric of what we now like and that, that kind of can't be ignored no that's um yeah can i ask you my big picture comic book question sure i've read i've read a smattering of like silver age com- uh, superman comics but certainly not all of it and um you know uh, uh, whatever your uh, whatever happened to the man of tomorrows and and stuff like that too uh your crises um but what when you watch this show the the feeling i get most from it is kind of silver age that they're almost doing that in the middle of a soap opera like is that fair to say like do you ever get that vibe with just some of the stories i guess that they choose oh that's an interesting question i guess I guess my gut response is no, I haven't had that. I haven't gotten that particular vibe from it. And mm-hmm. in fairness, though, I mean, where I've spent most of my time in the, over these past couple of years was in season one, which was more grounded. So I don't know, as I watch more sure, of these, yeah, yeah. and even, even even just in some of these Tempest episodes we're talking about, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. There might, there might be something <laughs> to that theory. I wasn't thinking that specifically, but maybe. This, these feel like the episodes where like he could blow out a sun or something, you know, like where, where that could happen. He has to fly up to the sun because um, resurrected Nazis uh, irradiated him in one episode. And it's just like, well, this is the weirdest thing that's ever happened. You know, like th- this, some of this stuff must be kind of influenced by, and, and just thinking of the writers who were writing this at the time who were 30, 40 something, they probably were reading those Silver Age comics already, you know, like uh, maybe even just like, uh, leftovers or you know secondhand versions of it but like that kind of era it might be with the superman they're coming up with so it's, it's always been in the back of my head that like maybe this is responding more to that vibe than anything or it's just its own version of this and and they're doing their best you know maybe but no that is an interesting question i w- one other follow-up from what you were saying because i think really think this is an important point i i agree with you this might be a show that a lot of hardcore fans or even casual fans kind of scoff at but I think as Superman fans, we do owe a debt to Lois and Clark, especially on this front of the relationship, because mm-hmm. having recently spent a lot of time in the the early 90s leading up to Lois finding out the secret in the comics and them getting engaged and, and eventually married, those comics broke a lot of new ground, but they walked so that Lois and Clark could run. Yeah. Right? Because in terms of the depth of of exploration that we could get in the relationship and Look, it's it's comics versus TV and the audiences that they're aimed at and, and all of that. So I think there's a lot that goes into why they were able to uh, delve into as much as they could on the show. But, you know, that's one of the things reading those comics. I appreciated that we were at least getting as far as we were. But there were a lot of instances where it just felt like, and look, my perspective is different now as, as, an, as an adult married father. It's like I want more of the relationship stuff. And the comics yeah, yeah, only yeah. kind of give you so much. There, There's a, a great stretch. But they've they got a up. Justice League to deal with or whatever. And like, yeah, I get it. Exactly. Oh, there is a great stretch. We covered it last year when Lois and Clark break up in the comics. And I thought that was actually some fertile ground that they were able to mine. But, mm. but in any event, I think there's only so far that you kind of get, especially in those 90s comics. But Again, I think that definitely helped, you know, pave the way for something like Lois and Clark. And Lois and Clark really gave us some some wonderful moments. And the, you know, we mentioned the chemistry and and just, you know, Dean Kane and Terry Hatcher, you know, Dean Kane is always the elephant in the room when we talk about Lois and Clark. And uh, yeah. it's something that we just sort of have to get past so that we can it's talk about this stuff. Addressed as as often as it needs to be on my podcast. But yeah, he's 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 makes it tough now. But it is tough. Not but, 
not quite Smallville, Chloe, uh, Chloe tough, but but tough, you know. I mean that, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's a whole other category. We've all got our burdens, you know. <laughs> yes, but just looking at the work, right that that he and Terry Hatcher put in, and and I really was thinking about this, especially as I was watching those Tempest episodes, and this speaks to mm-hmm. your earlier point about always treating the characters with integrity and, and authenticity, even as outlandish as the scenarios get, because right. watching the soulmates episode where we're dealing with time travel via reincarnation and souls and all of that business, but I'm watching yeah. it. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? These two are still committed to this. You know, they're still mm-hmm. in it and they're giving it everything. And I think to whatever extent it works, it's because of what they're bringing to it. So yes, uh, his real life politics, I wish he just kept to himself, but, uh, looking back on the work, it's uh, I think it's a lot of it holds up, and that's why even some of these wacky episodes c- can work. I totally agree. I think throughout, especially Terry Hatcher, is is the gift that that comic fans still don't deserve. I think she's she's just like hands down perfect Lois Lane off the like off the um, John Byrne page, you know, the, in the Man of Steel days, like. That stuff I, I did read like right before I started doing the podcast. I'm like, oh, I get where all of this came from. You know, like Deborah Joy, the creator of the show, read this and went, I get this woman. You know, like, of course, that's what we can do. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I I totally agree with you. And um, I, I kind of said it earlier. It's the, it's the reason that I think Superman works best as a two-hander where this show really positioned her as... Um, as someone who is a part of what makes Superman, Superman, he, you know, um, there are many instances where, where Clark doesn't want to do this or is willing to kind of give up the secret identity to just live out there or whatever, you know, but like, she understands that like, no, that's going to cheapen what you do. That is, that's going to, to affect you in this certain way. Like she's kind of the, the voice of reason that lets him, be able to keep flying and keep doing what he has to do. And that's, that's interesting to me. I I've said this many times, but they are the ultimate first responder couple where like, no matter what is going on with their relationship, with their lives in any way, if they, if, if he hears something and he's got to go, she's going to make that as easy for him to deal with as possible. And like that, that that's a partnership, you know, like that's really interesting and and while we all love batman and stuff like you don't really get that much with him you you know sometimes with catwoman or whatever but like that is just it's a totally different color that they get to play with the superman stuff and specifically on lois and clark i think they do beautifully agreed acme comics is a locally owned and operated full service comic book store in greensboro north carolina for people of all ages and walks of life now in its 40th year This multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection, as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail-order subscriptions to new releases are available, and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the AcmeCast on all podcast services, and visit acmecomics.com for much more. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast, Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. 
Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZL Comics. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah. Now, yep. here's our segue into The Tempest, because you were very recently on our yes, mutual please. friend Zach's podcast, Always Hold On to Smallville Talking Requiem, uh, the season eight episode that gave us a, a version of Lex Luthor. <laughs> I don't want to put it that way. And I bring this up because Tempest is a new villain created for Lois and Clark mm-hmm. in its second season after the show had lost John Shea as a series regular, right? He would make an appearance yes. in season two, a few appearances in season three, voice cameo. He in called in season, on season four, yeah. Which was more than Michael Rosenbaum did in the Requiem episode of Smallville. <laughs> <laughs> which show handled the departure of Lex better in your opinion. Oh God. I said this in the Requiem episode where like on, on paper, if we explain what's going on with Lex for like those missing Rosenbaum years, I'm on board with it. And then in execution, I'm like, it's kind of stupid. Um, I think probably Smallville though, still anyway, I don't know the. Uh, Lex gets so specific and kind of mired in his own mythos and story in Lois and Clark that it, they give you moments, but for the most part, it's kind of divorced from, you know, the platonic ideal of Lex Luthor that we all have in our head, you know? Um, So in that way, I think Smallville keeps that alive, even though they kill him. (laughs) Um, And, and Lois and Clark, while he comes back and like they do the bald cap and you know, whatever, like there are elements that they try to bring in there. He has some of his best scenes in the, in in the episode where he dies. It's, it's just not quite the Lex Luthor I think of, though. I love John Shea. I don't know. What's your thought on that? You don't love the romantic Lex Luthor who just wants to be with Lois? (laughs) Like I love season one Lex, but then, but then he becomes truly a villain in a soap opera of like, well, I will keep your love for my own and we will you know, retire to a ski chalet and different bodies. And, you know, like that, and that's just like, what is this? You know, this is the young and the restless. This is something completely different. It's, it's very true. I love the impression. Uh, you know, it's funny because I've been uh, also checking out the uh, boy meets world rewatch podcast. And one of the things I always talk about is, uh, you know, Bill Daniels who played Feeney, they have, all the kids mm. thought he was British. Uh, all along he's not it's just that his no, diction is so precise <laughs> that he, yes. it's just like he sounded that way but i think it, it's it's i know you guys have have addressed this when you know when you did that requiem episode and i know zach's been talking about it it's it's you know two different animals mm-hmm. because john shea came back he made those few appearances and that made such a yes. huge difference i think what was so frustrating yes. for us smallville fans especially in season eight was they were they were teasing something that they never had a payoff for. And, and it's, you know, to this day, it's like, I don't know. Is it the sort of thing where it was Rosenbaum promising them he was going to come back and then he reneged? Was he not committing and they were just assuming and it's really all on them? I don't know, but it definitely felt like it was building to something that then didn't happen. And so 
I don't know. Like I do have to give the edge to Lois and Clark because at least Lex Fair remained enough. a presence I'll take it. and he popped mm-hmm. up where you needed him to. And even just those, you know, one or, or you know, two or even just the voice in the fourth season, it's like, okay, <laughs> he's still there. He's in this world. And so I, I don't know. I, again, I, a tough situation on the Smallville side, but I, I think it's yeah. the edge to Lois and Clark. I, I'll take it. Like they're both an interesting, they're both the reason I love TV so much where it's just like, you can go into a season of television with whatever plan you want, but if that actor decides he doesn't want to come back, then you're going to have to pivot and we'll see how you do it. You know, like that's, and the, that is what happened with both of those shows. It's, it's interesting. But it's, um, it's just that Smallville. The, yeah. No, go ahead. No, sorry. It was just going to say, it's a testament to the character in general. And also those two actors that like, whenever they did show back up again, they are the best part of that episode. You know, like I, I'm, John Shea's voicemail in season four is one of the best performances in season four, you know, like it's just what it is. No, it's, it's, it's very true. I, I think where I see a distinction too, though, is Smallville pinned so much of season eight on, on Lex. Right. And I think that just created these expectations. It's not, I don't think fans were like unreasonable, right. And what what we were expecting the show was leading us. (laughs) was leading us imagine like they did the same thing in season 10 too they didn't learn the damn lesson it just happened to pay off thankfully but like i remember the day that it was announced that he was not coming back in season 10 and we all went like okay well i guess i guess life is meaningless and then you know however many weeks or whatever later it came back it's like oh thank god you know like i wasn't i was pretending to prepare to accept this finale without him but i I really wasn't ready to you know i'm right there with you i remember seeing that tvline.com headline Mm -hmm. that he's not i was like god damn it and it was so and he's at every convention signing his lex Luthor pictures and you're just like dude come on man you know and then I remember anyway, not long after we a got different the, podcast, the other headline. Yeah. But so kind of so. segueing into the temp into Tempest, the Tempest of it all. Right. So this is a time traveling villain who appears over five episodes. Tempest Fugitive season two, episode 18 Tempest. Anyone uh, season three, episode 14 soulmates, the fourth episode of season four. And then a two parter uh, episodes 14 and 15 of season four meet John Doe and Lois and Clark's uh, and portrayed by Lane Davies. For someone who hasn't watched Lois and Clark or, or hasn't watched in a really long time and needs a little <laughs> oh bit of God. a refresher, how do you describe this villain, Tempest? Tempest is phenomenal. I I say this all the time. I love a villain who loves being a villain, and that is so what this guy is. He is um, from the future, the utopia that Lois and Clark's love created. Um because of that, he is from this beautiful, peaceful time where he is incredibly bored as this uh, violent sociopath um, and has never had an outlet to express that until everyone's favorite or second favorite sci-fi author, H.G. Wells, shows up a day and brings him back in time and gives him an opportunity to undo this horrible you know, hellscape of a utopia that he lives in by killing Superman. Um, he had, he's so fun because he has all of the knowledge that he's not supposed to have as a villain and he has absolutely nothing to lose. He has no cares about the status quo of anywhere he comes from. He's got no connections, you know, personal connections to anybody. 
he just has this feeling of like, if I can get to a world where Superman doesn't exist, then I'm going to be all the better for it. And I can be my murderous, horrible, you know, depraved, whatever self. And that is his, that is his only goal. And it's, thrilling to watch with the right actor and and lane davies is certainly the right actor i know well said i, I you know this such a great addition to the mythos i was doing some research on tempest i know there's a version of the character appeared in superman's pal jimmy olsen 98 but uh, you know what <laughs> wait for real Oh, I thought, you were, always, I thought you were messing with me. No, it, no, I'm really not. I'm so sorry if that seemed sarcastic. No, I tell me about this. I thought you were. Do, I thought you were doing your best, Tempest, and I was along for the ride. Duh. No, I always thought he was just a, a creation of the show. Please, goddamn. I don't. This happens when the podcast is done. But I, yeah, educate me. No, my knowledge is is incredibly superficial, and I've shared like ninety eight percent of what I already know. <laughs> it's just that there was this character, Tempest, and I don't know. I think he was. I don't know if he was a full on time traveler or like a fortune teller or something like that. But Superman's yeah. pal, Jimmy Olsen, number ninety eight. Uh, but looking at the design, I mean, didn't didn't look or behave anything sure. like this character. So. And, and I also don't know, I mean, I know, you know, to your point earlier about whether or not the writers of Lois and Clark were inspired by uh, Silver Age comics, I mean, maybe. I, and I, don't, man, I don't say this as a knock, but watching Lois and Clark, I never really got the sense of like, oh, these people are really into the comics. So, <laughs> And you're correct, sir. So, <laughs> although I can say the same thing about Smallville as much as I love it. <laughs> well, and you might be correct. Sir. Uh, but with some exceptions. But I think that I, I I assume this was kind of more of a coincidence than anything else. I think it probably just turned out that there was mm. this con. So uh, maybe for it future- is a great time traveler's name. Yes, but the minute we're done with this, I'm going to try to find a play. Like maybe DC Unlimited has it. But it I'm, doesn't I'm try to find this issue. It doesn't. You'll have to resort mm. to other means. This is another recurring theme on this podcast where I often uh, curse the, the <laughs> that DC app as much as it has. There's so much that's uh-huh. that's lacking. In any event, there is at least some sort of basis for the character in the comics. But again, I, okay. I really don't think that was per se the inspiration here, but such a great character. I, I agree with everything you said. He's so sardonic. It's just that grim oh mockery, that scornful mockery and the self-awareness, right? Mm-hmm. And to your point, he's a villain and he knows he's a villain and he relishes it. And it's just such a joy to watch. And he, in many instances, serves as the voice of the audience. I mean, we'll talk about it, but Probably one of the most famous scenes That's of the entire series yes. where he, you know, he's uh, really, really giving it to Lois about her inability to, <laughs> to put it together that Clark and Superman are one of the same. It's an iconic scene. And it's, mm-hmm. I think in that moment, he, you know, he really gave voice to people <laughs> who are watching it, who just c- c- could not get past this fact. So I think all of those things together and then hand in hand with that, the fact that we're now in an era of the show where we've lost our main villain, but just as constraints make the artist, necessity is the mother of invention as well. And I, and I think, and look, I think Smallville got there too eventually, right? Where you get into season nine and all the <laughs> Zod and Candor stuff. I'm a big fan of that season. Yeah. And I feel like, hey, I am too. They finally dropped the Lex stuff and they just did their own thing and it was it was good. And so similarly here, it's like this was a new addition. And and again, in thinking about this episode and a way to sort of, you know, pull together a cross section of episodes and sort of represent the entire series. I mean, it's funny, and I want to get your take on this because, you know, on the one hand, these are not these episodes are not representative 
of the typical Lois and Clark episode. Of the show at large, absolutely true. Yes. But in a lot of ways, probably represent a lot of the best of the show and also the core. I feel like a lot of the core, the core, you know, relationship pieces and dynamics, right? Yes, absolutely. It's it because of the time travel angle, because let's be very clear. Tempest means that H.G. Wells is about to show up if he hasn't already. Like once you see Tempest, you know, like we're going to do time travel craziness and our good friend H.G. Wells will show up to try to help us in some sort of way. Um, but because of that, you have a little more story freedom to explore the characters at large, to explore the core of what the characters are. And because of that, you get to get to those moments that you're saying the the types that you don't usually get to say in the random episode. We're like, Oh no, Clark's invisible or blind. There's that. What are we going to do with a blind Superman? That's crazy. You know, like whatever, like that, whatever the plot of the week is type thing. These are mostly plot of the week episodes. But because of the time travel stuff and because of the knowledge he knows, they feel big, they feel like events, they feel like big stories, and they therefore get to get to get to highlight the cores of these characters that I think anyone listening to this comic or this comic, this podcast would agree with. For sure. I have to say one of the things that I was, because again, I'm, I'm working off of my memory from watching these as a kid, even, even the reruns mm. in TNT, it's uh, still going back <laughs> decades at this point. I forgot how deep into season two, uh, the first Tempest appearance was. Yep. This, this is truly like, you say in introduction to in season two, but like this is a late in the game, end of the year, let's try something episode. I've always wanted to talk to the two credited writers on this episode and I can't really track them down and they don't seem to have done much else writing wise um, besides this. But it that, that first episode, 218, um, Tempest Fugitive, is probably, well, this might be blasphemous to say, you can make fun of me, but it might be my favorite Superman story of all time. Because it, you get to do a lot of stuff. You get to tell Lois that he's Superman and explore that. And then the, you have a villain who knows how stupid all this stuff is. Who, who just like cannot help but point out like how dumb all the contrivances of their lives as comic book characters are. And then the show wins every one of those things back by the end of the episode. And that's just like... That's magic to me that that one episode can tear it down and build it back up stronger in 40 minutes, you know? Listen, I, I, I'm not going to knock that. Uh, does it rise quite to that level for me? No, but... <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. Sorry, I'm talking very grandiose about one episode of television from the 90s. But. No, but I definitely hold this up definitely as one of the strongest entries in, in Lois and Clark and... And, and and a very strong entry generally. And I could definitely see how, especially for someone, look, you, 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 to devote your time to a Lois and Clark rewatch podcast, you have to love the show. Otherwise, it's a, a miserable enterprise, right? So for someone who loves the show and for them this to be, you know, not just a favorite episode, but your favorite story, I can I can appreciate that. And I, I think you're right. It, it taps into so much. And for me, of course, I always love any time we're dealing with Smallville and the Kents. And so that's sort of the mm -hmm. whole other piece of that episode where adult Absolutely. Clark gets to interact with his younger parents. And there's so much emotion in those scenes. And uh, again, I, I think this episode works on on so many levels. Again, as for as, not even, not even silly, but look, I mean, we're dealing with time travel and a time machine. I mean, like you said, this is a big swing. <laughs> mm -hmm. But amidst all of that, there's... 
there's there's a lot uh, from an emotional standpoint that I think really works well. Now, like you said, we meet H.G. Wells, and we've had two different actors playing H.G. Wells, which was another thing I had totally forgotten. When I got to the yeah. season three episode, Tempest Anyone? and Tempest we, Anyone, yeah. And we see an, an older and a different actor playing. Uh, I was like, wait, what? I, it took me, and then, of course, they address it that he's an older version. Uh, but I was so confused for a second because it's, it's been a while. But uh, we have, so Terry Kaiser, right, plays the younger H.G. Mm-hmm. Wells in Tempest Fugitive and Soulmates. And then Hamilton Camp plays the older H.G. Wells, uh, when primarily when we're dealing with the alt universe, which, you know, we'll get to that. But that's sort of yes, a that's whole, true. whole other thing here where to the show's credit, right? Like, yes. we're, this is like, this is crazy. Tempest gets us Earth too. That's, that's the craziness. Yes. That's the thing. And so for anyone who has not God. watched the show or, I mean, look, if anyone listen- has no idea what we're talking about at this point, but yes. <laughs> I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, presumably you've at least seen some Lois and Clark, but if you haven't seen it or if you, you don't remember it or you haven't seen these episodes, you know, we we deal with with an alternate reality. And it's just so crazy to me because now we're in this era of the multiverse and, you know, the Arrowverse gave us a full-on adaptation of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Of course, Marvel's going nuts over in, in the movies and TV shows with they're, all of this business. They're trying. <laughs> they're trying. But... Um, but like Lois and Clark, and I know Superboy had had you know dealt with that business on its show as well. Right. That still kind of remains a bit of a blind spot for me. I'm getting there, but oh my god, you too. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Same. Are, yeah. All right. I think we're not aligned. I mean, I you know <laughs> that's there's so many levels. Even within the Superman fandom, there's so many levels levels to this because there's always some other and, pocket of like, oh yeah, that's really a gap. Yeah. Well, you know what the, the the big one for me that's such a gap is um, I'm a huge musical fan. I'm literally sitting behind like a bust of Stephen Sondheim over here. Uh, I never really jumped into the musical. Um, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's Superman. I, there's like one good song from it I like. I listened to it like halfway through one day, and I'm like, life's too short. I don't need to get into the. You know, like that's that's one that's weird for me where I'm like, that's weird. That should be two great tastes that taste great together, but I don't think the show is any good. <laughs> I'll be honest. I've I've only ever seen snippets of it. I've, I haven't fully delved yeah. in either. But this always comes up because when I talk about the George Reeve show, you know, look, in the context of the Christopher Reeve movies and everything that's followed, I think the Reeves show gets overlooked in a lot of instances. But that followed the radio show. And you talk about something yes. that a lot of people really, you know, have, have not delved into, myself included. The radio show is a great example. So, again, there's just so many there's so many levels to this, I guess. Yep. And, and again, like, yeah, we're we're bad fans, essentially. You're a better fan than me. But like, yeah, the radio show gave us so much of what is still active in Superman. And it's just kind of hard to, to pin down, you know? Yeah. But uh, in, get into. in any event, like, you know, the, Lois and Clark delved into into parallel universes, right? Early, yes. early in the game, far earlier than we than we would see later on. So it's just, uh, again, pretty remarkable. But in, in that first Tempest Fugitive episode that introduces H.G. Wells and, and Tempest, we do get, you know, H.G. Wells explains this future utopia that yes. that the example of Superman and, and the relationship between Superman and Lois has, has, has brought forth. This was interesting to me because I was thinking about it, and especially in the, the comic book perspective, whenever we deal with the future of the DC universe, uh, and I think, I guess, most specifically of the Legion of Superheroes, right? There's right. this idea of what Superman has inspired, and that's a positive thing, but it's still a world where there's a lot of work to do. And right, where we still need superheroes. Exactly. And of course, that makes sense because we're, we need to sell comics and we're telling stories and there has right. to be conflict and tension and all of that. But it was just interesting to me, this idea, 
again, in this more kind of isolated world of Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman, that in the 22nd century, it's just this peaceful, harmonious utopia that if I'm being perfectly honest, as Tempest was explaining it, I was saying to myself, I'm not totally on Tempest's side. I don't think you should resort to the <laughs> okay, methods. Okay, I, I get this. But at the same time, he's like, nobody works, nobody worries about anything. And it's just like, mm, it sounds a little boring. What yeah, is your take on Coming from this? a utopia, I don't, I, if, he has a line of like, you know, I come from a utopia where I don't know how to use technology. I don't know how to use this machine, the time machine, but I can use this one, his gun. And I'm like, yeah, that's an issue. You know, like it reminds me, frankly, of H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, where, you know, the utopia in the future is A, not a utopia because you've got the Murlocs underground and blah, blah, blah. But it, it's also like, this just seems like some flower child bullshit. Like th- this looks boring, you know? Like, so yeah, there there is an argument to be made there. We never really get to explore the utopia side of things very much. So I, 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 I don't have much stake in it besides just head cannon and in, you know, my, my own fanboy thoughts. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. And I, I, I get it again, why it might be a thing where comic book fans are, are kind of turned off by it. Cause they're like, what are you talking about? You told me the Legion of superheroes or, you know, like, and I, I don't mean to use that voice. I'm sorry. I understand that. But I, I totally agree with you that for this world, that that is the ultimate end game that like if everything goes right these the love of these two people and what they do with it is going to save the world like that's it's pretty cool to me i'm also a huge softie which is also why i re- respond to the show so much yeah no i mean i think in in broad strokes i like it and i i've said this a lot of times on the show and my perspective might change as, as we move forward but i well, I don't actually, I don't have anything against the concept of the Legion of Superheroes. It's the idea of a young Clark Kent, like running around with them. That's very hard for me to reconcile. Weird, right? Yeah. But again, I, I will keep an open mind when I, when I delve into that in the, in the future, no pun intended. So, but the idea <laughs> of their, their love having this, this impact in the future, that in and of itself, I'm fine with. And, and I, again, I don't, I, you know, it's like I have a huge issue with the idea that it's this utopia, but it was just interesting hearing Tempest talk about it. And and I guess maybe this is part of what makes him a, a compelling villain where you you do at least to an extent get his perspective where, yeah, like I'm listening to this and it's like, yeah, all right. I mean, maybe it is kind of boring. <laughs> 5,000 channels and nothing on. Yeah. yeah. What, what's your take on, because, you know, you've spent so much more time with these episodes and this character. Um, in terms Such of- a weird thing to be an expert on, but keep going. <laughs> Listen, everybody has their thing, man. It's all good. <laughs> uh, I'm a niche. Yeah. What, what, what's up? But I mean, and it's very specific. I mean, how many people can say this? <laughs> so there's something for that. But I mean, in terms of sort of when Tempest hatches his plan and what his, or I guess when these, uh, the, the, this plan forms, when he initially gets in the time, when we don't see this, but in the future, when he gets in the time machine with HG Wells, do you think at that point he's like, he's, he's looking for something to change or is it because the way it plays, it's like you see him walking through the streets of Metropolis and it seems to awaken something. And I I was having a hard time sort of drawing a line between what he kind of came in intending to do versus what he saw that really triggered him, so to speak. Mm. I, I, I think it's one of those kind of love at first sights where like he's supposed to be walking when he when we first see him, he has just come from the future into 1995 
and is walking down the seedier streets of Metropolis by the porn theaters and the, you know, that type of thing. And I, I, it's love at first. I think he's just like instantly like, this is out there, you know, like this is what life could be. It's that, it's that, you know, small town kid goes to the big city and, and finds out what they've been missing. And it's totally that in a, in a horrible, murderous, you know, (laughs) terrible way. But he just realizes then for me, like, Oh, I'm a violent person. And in some, you know, in the past, in some worlds, that's okay. You know, like I can, I can find an outlet for that. Um, and it's also interesting to me that, you know, his, his ultimate first evil plan is to do like kind of, you know, what's the, the thought experiment of like, well, what hap- would happen if you use a time machine and went back and killed Hitler as a baby? And it's just the exact reverse of that. But it's still that same kind of simple thinking of like, he's not this grand mastermind. His plan in season four is much better than it is here. But here he's just going on instinct going like, what's my problem? Superman. What could I do with the time machine? Okay, let's, let's figure this out. Yeah, go back in time and kill him as a baby. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, and I think it's, you know, it's it's no, it's no small feat, right, to introduce a villain that you know wins the audience over. I think as effectively as Tempest did. I mean, I, not that I have my finger on the pulse of the Lois and Clark fan, but I mean, it seems like this is a character who is generally who is well received and well regarded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to do that and to do it so quickly, I mean, even just watching that scene where he, you know, he he stumbles upon someone getting mugged and then proceeds to mug the guy further and just mm-hmm. takes such delight in the fact that I'm mugging you. And it's just yeah. like, it's just mugged you. Like, that's the thing. I, it's such a great balance with this character. And I know I'm not, you know, you've talked about this. I'm not saying anything you haven't already thought nope, or maybe. said or heard, but just this, you know, this balance between the, the, the this, he's so sinister, but so funny and self-aware. And it's just like a very potent mix that's fun to watch, but also not a joke. I think that's the thing, right? That there's still, yes. it still feels like stakes, but it's also funny. Yes. It's um, one of my favorite movie villains of all time is still Jeffrey Rush as Captain Barbosa in that first Pirates movie. And it's kind of the same thing for me too, where like, you feel a little bit for Barbosa and what he's been through. But at the same time, he's a bastard and you should die at the end of the movie, but you're going to feel a little bit bad about it. And, and Tempest is that for me where it's just like, like you were saying, like you, you do kind of get where Tempest is coming from and that's interesting. And he's doing these horrible things, but God, he's having such a great time doing it. Yeah. And so, you know, we get into the time travel aspect. And of course, H.G. Wells is able to, you know, manipulate the time machine and send them to 1866 Smallville instead of 1966 mm-hmm. to buy Lois and Clark some time uh, and all of that. But, and, you know, again, you've done the full on, you know, episodic rewatch of this. So we don't have to go beat by beat here. We can talk more broad strokes and big moments of all of this. Because I, I want to get to this scene uh, in 1866 before H.G. Wells and Tempest go to 1966 and they're in the barn mm-hmm. with Lois and we get this big moment where Tempest reveals to her uh and it's it's you know it's tough to watch right as fans of Lois we love the character but yeah there is also this huge piece of how are you not recognizing that Clark and Superman are one of the same and it's <laughs> this iconic famous bit of him putting on the glasses and taking them off and I'm Clark Kent I'm Superman uh, do you want to do some of the other dialogue because I it's 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 such um, a such a classic 
the the thing I love is that he really cues her up for it too, where he's just like, you know, where I come from, you're one of the most revered women in history. You're a breakfast cereal. <laughs> but the question that keeps coming up is how dumb was she? And that goes to the thing I was talking about earlier, where like the beauty of Tempest is he he is built having this kind of almost meta knowledge of this universe that he's been plopped into just by, you know, virtue of being from the future, he can call out the stupid parts of, of Superman, which I love. I love Superman. I love, love, love Superman glasses. No glasses is a really dumb disguise. And anyone that loves Superman and can't admit that is, is not looking inside themselves enough, you know? And, and that's, you know, what he does here. And it's, and it's, incredible but again kind of going to that thing where i was saying like the episode kind of buys it all back is he gets to make fun of that and they get to make hay about it and they get to do this whole episode about it and then ultimately hgl wells gets to explain like no like you're you're not stupid you're blinded by love and that that's why it works that's why we care and that's why your story means something and that's 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 awesome to me. And and still you get to have this this cruel, cruel moment that sets up the rest of the episode. I, I'm i with you that, you know, it's funny because I guess a lot of us remember that the scene in the barn and he calls her galactically stupid and mm-hmm. uh, duh, right? And all of that. But I, I agree that that moment with H.G. Wells, I think, reconciles a lot within the context of the show and the larger mythology. And I'm with you. I, and I've we've talked about this a lot and I, and even off the show, like whenever this comes up with the whole idea of the secret identity, I will forever defend that the average person on the street wouldn't recognize Clark for the reasons that, you know, we're often given specific reasons, right? He changes his posture and he's, his voice is a little higher. Of course, in the context of Lois and Clark, there's little to no differentiation Look, other than slicking. Dean Kane was very pretty. He, <laughs> he was a limited actor. So, you know, that aspect of it is not, is not really a player, but, I can always I can always chalk it up to the fact that why would someone be looking for Superman on the street, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that never really I never really bumped up against that. But anyone, and it, you know Perry and Jimmy could probably fall into this category, but Lois more than anyone else, anyone who is having one on one face to face contact, and in the case of Lois, intimate moments with both people, it with is. Both of them. <laughs> Beyond ridiculous that she wouldn't recognize them. And, you know, sort of the flip side of all this, which the episode gets into, which I really love, is, you know, how could Clark, you know, perpetrate this ruse against her? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of instances you can chalk it up to, well, it's just a desire for Uh, privacy and he's, you know, showing one side to the world and and keeping another back. And we all do that in various forms. But in the case of Lois, I mean, it's – and I know they address this in the episode where it's like, I didn't lie. Like, I just told you certain facts to – keep you from learning other facts. Right. It's like mm, a certain point of views her. Yeah. You know that, that whole business, but th- that's the thing that's always tough as a Superman fan, her inability to recognize and, and his, his lies to, to protect the side of him. That's why I really do prefer the Smallville take the man of steel take where Lois is just in on it from the beginning, because we avoid this from mm. both sides or even something like Superman and Lois, where when you get the flashbacks, uh, in, in that show, you get more of a sense that she was primarily interacting with Clark. You didn't have so much of this right. triangle business. But I, I'm with you. Like, I was so taken by that H.G. Wells speech because it just, it's like, yeah, no, there is this sort of this other reason for it, this blinded by love. And I think there's a lot that we can kind of chalk up to that. And I, I really appreciated yeah. that. I think that, I think that 
goes to kind of Clark's point of view in the episode too, where like, it's not said, but for me, it's like he can do anything as Superman, but he doesn't really want to. And he could get Lois Lane as Superman, but it really wouldn't be the same thing if he's playing this persona when, when Clark can't have her. And that's, that's really sweet to me. Like that's, that's very interesting and buys a lot of the kind of lies stuff again in this episode, because we get to talk about these kind of uh, basic tenets of these characters by, by virtue of the story that they're telling, we get the line where like, um, you know, she is pissed. She is upset. And like when she, the first scene with Clark, you know, afterwards and, um, she's like, you know, like, He's like, don't you know that it was hard for me to watch you pine after Superman and not notice me? And she's like, well, what are you talking about? You are Superman. No, Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am. And and however think, stupid you think this show is, like that is, they got to the core of it. And like that's that's it in a nutshell. And that's that's so interesting to me. You know, like that that idea that that he kind of justifies this lying because it's he's playing a part as Superman. Like he is the guy, you know, and the opposite with Batman that we always say, right? Like Bruce Wayne's the mask and he's the, you know, it, it's, I don't know. It, it, I kind of got lost in my train of thought. Just think of that wonderful scene, but that that's very core to, to this whole um, dynamic between them and what they get to play out in this episode. No, absolutely. I, th- that was definitely a standout scene for me as well. And it's something that, you know, prior to doing this podcast, I don't know that I would have articulated this necessarily, but now what I've become keenly aware of is that between growing up with the Triangle Era comics and with Lois and Clark, you know, what's encapsulated in that line, right? Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am. That is hardwired into me and how I see the character. Mm -hmm. And that's why I, I can love and appreciate the Christopher Reeve performance. It's amazing. It's iconic. I get why everyone loves it. I get why everyone loves the yes. movie. I get it. Yeah, yes. But it's always the thing that I bump up against, in, in particular the depiction of Clark Kent as this bumbling caricature. And within this context, this God living among men and needing to masquerade, I get it. But it's just not the way I see the character. I see the character as Clark. And so that's why... And I'm really, you know, that's the thing. like so many things are cl- clicking into place for me. I think I see why I love the George Reeves show so much because you talk about a competent, mm-hmm. capable Clark. It's very, yep. you know, it's it's very. And look, and again, course, Superman is a skill in that yes. show. You know, like a hundred percent, he's a skill in a public figure, which is essentially what he is at Lo- in Lois and Clark. Too. And of course, uh, you know, Lois and Clark, the new Adventures of Superman. So you know, kind mm-hmm. of in that vein, and it's very similarly in the George Reeves show. It's like very in terms of the performance. You know, a very little differentiation in terms of of what he's doing as Clark versus as Superman. But yeah, Clark's- Dean Kane wasn't a bad actor. He was just homaging <laughs> Christopher Reeves or uh, George Reeves, excuse me. Uh, yeah, that's all it was. So, but um, no, yeah. I, I I couldn't agree more. It's the same reason where, like, in modern stuff or whatever, I kind of hate when people call him Cal. When like, you know, Justice League, when Wonder Woman or something calls him Cal, and I'm like, I. D- I don't think my, you know, again, plutonic headcanon ideal of Superman would want to be called anything other than Clark by his friends. And I don't get where he kind of identifies with Cal the same way I don't think he identifies as much with with you know the persona of Superman. I agree. I agree. I, I that the 
the because it's, if it's really just Wonder Woman, I could just buy that. That's that's their thing, and that's how For she like sees. Kara, but Kara, no, yeah, Kara, whatever, however you want to say it. <laughs> I, I just realized that the CW has completely indoctrinated me into, into Kara, but um, like that I get. She knew him on a planet where that was his one and only name. You know, like that I totally understand. But I don't know. If Bruce ever called him Cal, I'd be like, bullshit. You know, it, 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 that's Clark to him. Agreed. So, no, I mean, that scene was wonderful, but going back to the pronunciation, yeah, the Kara Kara thing is something I will never get past. It's always Kara to Even before Smallville, it was always Kara to me. Also, in the alternate universe episode that we'll get to in a second, we get our one and only Lana, <clears throat> Lana Lang. And again, another <laughs> instance where it's like, it's Lana. Come on. Yeah. It's very, that was I, I very know. tough. <laughs> is, is it, is it Lana in the animated series or is it Lana? Oh, it might, you know, and I, it's, I hasn't like been it that long be. since I watched, but I think, I think they did hit on Lana there. I think. Yeah. I'd have to double check. Um, yeah, okay. Well, good point. I guess there are flaws with Lois and Clark. I take it all back. Look, That's... one or two, it's not a big deal. Otherwise, yeah, exactly. it's basically Here and perfect. There. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's basically perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that scene at, with them by the car is is tremendous. And then with them in the car, and especially as we get deeper into the episode, and I don't want to gloss over the scene with the Kents. We could circle back to that. But after they're leaving the Kents, and you know his his hand is starting to disappear because Tempest to back to the future away. Yeah, yeah. Tempest is placing the crypt, the kryptonite around baby Kal El, and the Clark now is starting to fade away. But you know, I think especially after that scene with the Kents, Lois is starting to gain some understanding here and is recognizing how how lonely this must have been for him to not be able to share. But what I loved was again we can never underestimate the value and the importance and the role of the Kents in this story. And as he's quick to say, he's like, well, I wasn't alone. It's, I, I quote this a I lot and I get chills every time I say this, but the Grant Morrison Batman run, there's this great line at the end of it where he's like the, the secret, the, uh, the first truth of the Batman, the saving grace. So I was never alone. Right. And this whole idea of the bat family and Alfred and all this. And the same thing with Superman. It's like, no, Mont Pa were there. And, and he even says to Lois, it's like, even you were there too. Even if I couldn't share everything the way I right. wanted to, it's like you were there. So that was such an important point, and, and I really love that. And again, getting that scene of him seeing his parents, you know, it's like, I, I think about that. It's like, what a weird experience that would be to see it with your parents or grandparents, like to see them as contemporary. Well, I mean, they were still older, but, mm-hmm. you know, to see them <laughs> younger. As, as, as 50-year-old <laughs> actors with their eye poles going on. Yes, but... You know, but it was, it was so like you saw how meaningful that was to him. And also just to kind of because that's the thing. I, and we did we did multiple episodes on the various tellings of the origins over the years. And, mm. you know, with Lois and Clark, obviously, when you start this series, he's already an adult. And yes, you see the Kents mm-hmm. help him make the costume and all that. But you don't get the the ship landing and them finding him and all that. So, so like, this was so just from the, the Superman mythology Real standpoint, life. like it was so cool to yes. see the young Kents pining for a child. This episode is why I was obsessed with the the spaceship from that series. Oh a, my a god! A listener, a listener printed this out for me from a three D model I had made. But it it just like the it, uh, uh, the iconography in this episode is is incredible for what you're saying. Like we never did get to see those moments. We never got to see. Um, it, it's all a tease with the lowest stuff, but we never got to see them interact like truthfully before too. And and they get to do it here. 
Yeah, it's it's just, I mean, that's the thing. I think overall the highlight, right? Getting to see Lois's reaction to knowing the secret mm-hmm. and having them talk it out. Like I said, crazy to me that we're just a few episodes away from her knowing fully. Actually <clears throat> doing it, yeah. But even still, again, we should get into this just real quick. The end of this season, they shot three different versions <laughs> of of the final line. And it, it was he's proposing to her and she kind of stops him. And the one that they aired was her just going, Clark, to be continued. The one that they started, they retconned at the beginning of season three with is, you know, she, he's proposing to her who's asking Clark or Superman and she whips off the glasses. And it's just like, they didn't even kind of have the guts to go with that at the end of season two. And that drives me nuts because it's like, that that's your perfect cliffhanger. And yet didn't do it, you know? But like, but yes, but story-wise... There are elements at the end of season two, which is how she she kind of pieced it together. Yes, and that it that's one of the other things that you know I will forever champion Lois and Clark for having her figure this out. That's one of the things in the mm-hmm. comics he proposes and doesn't right, tell her. And then we get the shirt rip later, and then they you know later yeah. on she's like, oh, I kind of always suspected. It's like, yeah, but that really we were not shown that, and so I feel like you have to give that to Lois, and I I think that's the. the sort of what what else this Tempest episode adds, where you get to see an instance where she doesn't figure it out. He doesn't tell her, right? Someone she else- She finds out in the worst possible way, really. Worst way, yeah. yeah. Time, on a time travel <laughs> escapade uh, <laughs> yeah. with this madman, right? Telling her in the most belittling, you know, harshest yes. way. You're an idiot. Yeah. Galactically stupid, uh, which gets said mm-hmm. three times in the, the episode. Uh, so yeah, no, there's, there's a lot, it's, it's amazing. And then we get to see, uh, you know, sort of, uh, you know, Clark's or the way the, the Kent's had always told Clark the story, right. They were driving through, you know, driving past Schuster's field and they saw, you know, yeah. like a shooting star and all that. Uh, and there was at night. So he's confused because the ship has already landed during the day. And then of course he realizes he has to be that shooting star that will lead them to the ship. And he's standing there, right, as as he's watching them, you know, pick up the baby. Oh. Now, this doesn't go as far as Smallville did in episode 150, Apocalypse, where, <laughs> where he puts himself in the, the ship. Yes. But I guess what is your take generally on, on <laughs> these instances of uh, Superman inserting himself into his own origin story via time travel? <laughs> I don't know. Like, holistically, <laughs> it's probably stupid. For this show, I think it's lovely. I, I, uh, the t- let's be very clear. The time travel in this episode, these episodes makes zero sense. And I say that as now the co-host of a legends of tomorrow podcast. Um, but like it makes legends of tomorrow look like, you know, very mapped out and scientific. <laughs> um, but I, it, it doesn't really matter to me. The spirit of that, the kind of, I wish there was kind of that moment of like, Oh, it's got to be me, you know. Um, maybe, maybe they wouldn't have pulled that off as well. But I think it's lovely the effect that they have of just the blur, blur, going overhead in the sky and that stopping the Kents and him leading them to him. I think is is beautiful. I think Lois and Clark. I think lovely is a great word. I think Lois and Clark struck a, a nice balance where he's there and he can see that moment. I think Smallville, I love it forever, but I think that went too far by actually having. But that was a one. retcon situation too. Like it's not like we we saw Jarrell and Lara put him in the ship in season one of Lois and Clark. We never saw that discovery, like you're saying. So like, there's nothing that we're 
we're treading on here, you know? Yeah. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice, my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show, too. Thank you. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. So as we move forward kind of through these Tempest appearances, uh, he reappears uh, a little past the midway point in season three with this Tempest Anyone episode where uh, he shows up and, and you know, plops Lois onto the, the time machine again. But this time, instead of traveling through time, we go to an alternate universe where Clark has never become Superman and Tempest yes. is running for mayor. Side note, I don't mean to go on a tangent here, but I, I, I got to bring this up because it's so well, we're on a podcast. We can't go on That's, a tangent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned this, you know, like almost every episode of the George Reeves rewatch podcast, whenever we talk about Perry mm-hmm. White, because there's this bit in one of the final episodes of season one, where via narration, they tell us that Perry White in the Adventures of Superman universe used to be the mayor of Metropolis. And the only time, wow, the only time to my knowledge that this is even mentioned in that entire series is in that narration. And I've been saying, I'm like, I can't think of any other instance where there's been anything to do with Perry White and mayor, but in this alternate universe, right, right he's running for mayor. It's, you know, so that's, uh, I I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm sure not remotely on anyone's mind in the writer's room during this, but that's interesting. Yeah. So as I was watching this, I was like, God, and also, no, I guess we don't, there might not be as much overlap between viewers of the two shows because I've been mentioning this a lot on the other podcast of like, there's never anything else to do with Perry as mayor. No one has reached out to be like, oh, no one has been like, hey, by the way. (laughs) 
So um, I, I owner there. of the Daily Planet, Jimmy Olsen, was helping him run for mayor in uh, Earth 2 on Lewis and Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Olsen. Mr. Olsen, excuse me. Yeah. Mr. Right. Olsen. And like we said, this this episode gives us the, the show's one and only appearance of Lana Lang. Of course, Lana. before Lois goes to the alt universe. Who sucks? She's so bad. She's so bad. It's such a bummer to me. Um, as a fan of, as, as someone whose first real true crush during important uh, changes in my life was Kristen Kruick as, as Lana Lang, like she gets so shortchanged in this and, and it's a very unlikable, she is, she's so bad that he doesn't become Superman, you know? Yeah. That's tough. And there's a little bit of a lack of Kent's for him in this too, but, um, yeah, no, that 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 does happen here. They're, they're okay. Um, friend of the show, um, co-host of All Star Superfan pointed this out to me. Really, um, Rob O'Connor. Um, there's also the Elvis thing in this world, where I believe Elvis is president, if yeah. I recall correctly, in Earth Two, or had been president, El- something to that effect. Yes, Elvis, of course. In real life, who was very much a Superman fan, more a Shazam, uh, Captain Marvel fan, um, but like literally wore capes in concert because of Captain Marvel and and you know the the aesthetics put forth in comics by Superman. So there's the whole snake eating its tail craziness of this too, where there's an Elvis in this world who's in a jumpsuit, you know, like we see him from behind or whatever, but also in a world where Superman doesn't exist. So it's just like what inspired him here this is insanity i hadn't thought about that but that is actually a really good point <laughs> but, yeah, but i brought the podcast to a screeching halt but it's fun right yeah it's 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 interesting anyway um no i i i love this episode to get back to our main man tempest here uh because i like the idea that he's like all right killing superman didn't work for me so what if I can just find a world where I can I can stop Superman from ever even happening? And I I kind of read between the lines in this episode and think that's what happened, where Clark um Clark lost the Kents very early on in this episode. I forget if he says why, but like maybe a car crash or car something crash. like that. Car crash. Um and also Lois goes missing on a story right before she, you know, should have met him. And to me, that's Tempest. Like both of those instances are him going like, I can't, apparently I can't kill Superman. That didn't work out, but let me try a different tact. What if I took away his support system? What if I took away the three people that would result in him being some sort of force for good in the world? And it works. Like it works completely. And he's he's on his way to amassing some sort of political power and taking over and you know, he's already got a, a kind of a, a I don't know, like it, it's like a store basically. He's got like Tempest and such or whatever in Metropolis. Like he has power already, and it's literally our Lois coming to that world that is what thwarts him. That's very interesting to me. I very much like that theory. I'm ashamed to say that I was even thinking that, but that's a great take, and I I think that's a, a great way to look 100% at it. Hundred percent between the lines, but but head cannon, that's what it is for me. No, I like that a lot, and yeah, he's he set himself up. He's selling guns and sunglasses, I I believe. That's it, yeah, yeah, yeah. which is a great callback to Tempest Fugitive, right? his he, favorite thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that works out nicely. I 
the the thing about it that's that's kind of fascinating to me is everything that you said totally tracks right that he goes to a world without superman or, or potentially even creates a world without superman by right. by but taking even, out the but people let, making let's that. G- let's narratively give it that where like he found the world where the kents die early and he's like perfect right yet <laughs> his plan in this episode he brings lo- and that was the, actually to the show's credit I'm watching it and I'm saying why what is the plan here and again, I don't remember this from watching it as a kid. I'm like, why would he bring her here? And then you get the payoff that he wants her to help create Superman to be this mm-hmm. enemy that he's been warning the city against. And then he can defeat this enemy in front of everyone and become the mayor and amass all of the power that he seeks. I, mm-hmm. It's sort of like, bro, you should have quit while you were ahead <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> it's that Riddler victory lap thing of like, you're too stupid to actually – you know, figure this out. Yeah. Um, no, a hundred percent. But it, yes, I do love that as a conceit where like as his victory lap, essentially he's going to take Lois, make her create a Superman and then he's going to thwart him instantly. And that's, that's like the ultimate revenge he can put on Superman and specifically this Lois who screwed him up last time. Yeah. And you know, just the, the hubris of trying to do this, right. And it is ultimately his undoing. So you know, again, I think it certainly tracks in the context of this. And like I said, to the show's credit, I'm watching it. It really, I was genuinely curious. I was like, what, where are we going with this? And then of course it all, <laughs> it all fell into place. I really, though, the fact that the Kents weren't there, that they, they died in this car crash when he was mm-hmm. 10. Of course, I'm very sad for this version of Clark, but for narrative purposes, I appreciated it because it, it would have rubbed me the wrong way if it's like he's just not Superman because Lois isn't there, right? Lois is because Lana Lois. sucks. Yeah, yeah, because he's with Lana and not with Lois, and it's like, yeah, Lois is crucial. She's a, a key component of the story, but especially with the decision to become Superman again, at least the way I see it and the way it plays out in the origin story, it's like there's so much that comes bef- before that. So, I, I that that helped me reconcile a lot of this. The fact that it's like, no, he doesn't have the influence of his parents, and he has the. Uh, the the wet blanket that is this Lana Lang, yes. Who who also like we're giving her hell, but like I understand her wanting to keep her fiance safe and like stop you know like that type of thing. But it it really isn't played like that. Um, it's also like to what you're saying about the Kents canonically. Think of how many times in season one he flew back to Smallville to talk about the problem of the week, and and without that as them as a sounding board, as he says in Tempest Fugitive, like I had them, this wouldn't have happened. You know, like that's, that's really key. Like this version of him had them for a second to the point where he's heartbroken, where when he finds God, when he finds out that, that, you know, our Clark still has them, there is no ounce of bitterness or jealousy in his voice. He's just like, that's really nice. You know, like the good for him. He sees them a lot. That's amazing. Like, it's just, he's just, he's still Clark, you know? Like, he's just so happy for this other version of himself that gets to have these beautiful people in his life still. And without them and without that constant do, do-gooding, do I say, you know, respectfully, voice in his ear, maybe he doesn't quite get there. Exactly. Exactly. No, I... I love that too. I love the way that was played. Uh, like you said, that question of, you know, does, does, he, does he see them a lot? Does he spend a lot of time with them? Yeah. Uh, it, it really hits you. And then, you know, when we get to the final two-parter that that we'll, we'll, we'll touch on in a minute, uh, 
where H.G. Wells brings the alt-universe Clark to our world. Oh. Our Clark is is lost in eternity, a.k.a. the Phantom Zone, which is... The, know, they did a version the, of the Phantom Zone. Kind, kind, kind of, of the Phantom Zone, kind of the Quantum Realm. It's all... Yeah, exactly. But to just to see his reaction to seeing them, right? And their reaction when he reveals that he lost his version of them, it's... It it really it gets you, and that's the thing. Like we've been saying, just that you know, grounding it in the character and the emotions, it 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 goes such a long way and really pulls you mm-hmm. in as as zany as the episodes might get. Again, do not take the worlds that seriously. Let there be Earth twos or whatever. But when you put a an orphaned Clark in the room with the Kents, take that very seriously, and that's 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 the key. On the Lana of it all, Emily Proctor, who went on to to star on CSI Miami, mm-hmm. you know, I and this was not a fault of of her. This was not. I, I again, in terms of the writing, I think that they they could have done a lot more. I agree with you. You know, it, it's not. She's not totally one note. There is definitely she does express. She does articulate this idea of hey, right? She's not Regina George. Like she's not this horrible, <laughs> horrible person. She's just not a great influence on him. Right. And she does articulate like, hey, if you do this, like they'll they'll send you to a lab, they'll dissect you. Mm-hmm. So there is some genuine fear there, but she just comes Bit off. Bit of as, a John John Snyder, you know, type uh Jonathan Kent reaction, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely that that flate, but I think she just comes off as as just kind of shrill and overbearing. And there could have been a little bit more nuance or uh, you know, relatability or sympathy, uh, you know, for this character. Um mm. I'll also say, and I don't, you know, again, I'm sure you've you've t- talked about this, but just the overall lack of Lana on the show. Like I always thought watching the green, green glow of home. It's like, man, if there was ever a yes, time to, I was like, just say. <laughs> to like use Lana, it was crazy to me. Yep. And they have that um, kind of sheriff or, or deputy or whatever uh, character in that, that, that clearly used to date or have a thing for Clark and they, they just don't go. It. Yeah. But again, as you were saying, maybe not everyone on the writing staff has cracked a comic book, you know? Yeah, and, and look, in fairness, at least they used her here, right? There was an opportunity. It's like, totally. okay, a world without Lois, and we we had Lana. By then, I think there was a bit more of a nerd influence on the writer's room. Side note, as someone who has now been married for six years, uh, the opening of the episode in our world where Lois and Clark are talking about the wedding, you know, the wedding, wedding planning, planning and he's and like, stuff, oh, I yeah. ran into, you know, Lana, and she wants to come to the wedding, and Lois is like, well, what did she say when you told her? No, he's like, well, she didn't tell her no. Like she just kind of assumed she should come. Again, as someone who's who's you know, gone through this process, yeah, <laughs> buddy, you really dropped the ball there. That's not really, <laughs> that's not really a thing. <laughs> I was with Lois on that one. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Uh, uh, yeah, I might have a weird perspective on this. Like my ex is totally coming to the wedding. But. <laughs> it's you know what it is. I uh, know I'm not even talking about it in context of of the ex. It's the timing. That was what, that was what got me. Mm. It's like, we're, I think it was the next, it was like the day before or days, but like it was, that was more. It, it was yeah. The, Cause it's the episode before clone. Yes. Frog stuff, yeah. I think. It is literally right? the episode yeah. before. So we're like one or two story weeks away from the wedding. So you're absolutely right. We, we can't squeeze her into a table at this point. Exactly. That was, that was yeah. what it was for me, but uh, but yeah, I mean, overall, a cool episode, I thought, to just delve into this idea of this this alternate reality. The Perry White as mayor thing was cool, uh, just as a, as a fun little connection point. And, you know, to see Lois help create Superman, right? And she mm-hmm. makes him the costume. And she, you know, we, we get, I do like, though, that we got we got to see that he was still using his powers to help people. It was kind of sparingly, and it was in secret, and it was, 
while avoiding Lana, but he was still doing right. it, right? There's this gunfight that he, you know, he intervenes in secretly. So that core is still there, but you know, she brings out the, the superhero in him and, and uh, it, it was it, cool to see that. It does make me wonder, and, and I guess it's, you know, I guess we can just chalk this up to the Kent's influence over the years, like slowly put, somehow putting this in his head, but he is the one in the pilot to come up with the idea of like, well, what if I wore a disguise? And he just kind of hasn't gotten there here to the point where like, it's very clear he hasn't like thought about this because when Lois brings it up, he, he thinks it's again, he thinks it's stupid. And then she proves to him it's not. Um, but yeah, that is interesting to me because he is, he's basically pilot Clark here where we see, you know, Clark and the pilot stop the bus from hitting the nuns and that type of, you know, like he, he's doing these things um, sparingly, as he said, and, and as, as quickly and, and covertly as he can without wearing the cape. For sure. So again, I don't, I don't want to, you know, uh, rush through anything, but we're, we're almost at an hour and a half. So <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But is there anything else about these first? I mean, we can always circle back at the end. If no, I think, I think these first two are probably the best of what they do um, with Tempest. Um, but again, it is kind of infuriating to me where this show picks and chooses where it wants to have continuity. A, the time travel stuff never, ever makes sense. And B, the, the idea that like at the end of this episode here, Tempest is being taken away for, by police. For what? You know, like to what end? And then we find him, this version of him ultimately forever from now, you know, next season in an insane asylum. And like, uh, like what, what do people think his crimes are? Where did he come from? How did he get out of, uh, you know, old West times Smallville where we left him in the last episode, you know, like all those plot holes are just kind of left there, but that is also again, the craziness of the show that we're watching. No. Okay. That's a great point. And so right at the end of Tempest Fugitive, we find out that HG Wells dropped him at this insane asylum in, you know, 1866, right. Uh, and then in this Tempest Anyone bit, the older H.G. Wells explained that he got out and built another machine. So I was like, okay, we, we got right. an explanation. How? It's like how, and of course we don't see any of it. Uh, also, I know we didn't mention this explicitly, but I think people probably could, could gather this, but after that first time travel episode, uh, you know, H.G. Wells returned Lois and Clark to the present before he had taken them. And that's why they don't remember. Of course, that makes no sense. Right. Absolutely no sense at all. I wish he had a neuralizer. I wish that men in black had come out already. And the writers would have thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. That would have. Yeah. I mean, again, not to nitpick, but I was just like, man, this this does not make any sense. But yeah, but to your point, that actually really did bother me. So in the Tempest, anyone episode, it it's established that Tempest is keeps coming back to our world to commit uh, bank robberies. That's how he's funding everything he's doing in the alt universe. And Excellent. so at, at the end of this, they bring him back to our world and that's what he's arrested for. And I just, I don't know, I just remember just last night as I was watching, I'm like, why? There's there's nothing else you can do with this guy. Like, it's crazy to me that you like, bring him back. You know. As a bank robber. Like, this guy's <laughs> beyond that. He robbed a bank in the first one, but just to get gold to power the time machine, which we've all had to do at some point. That's what you do. Yes. That's what you do with the little side. I love that man. It's such a pleasure. You understand. You know, I got to say though, just the, the like childhood memories. I, when I saw them pour in that first episode, when they were dumping the gold into that little <laughs> pocket of the, the uh, pouch on <laughs> the time machine, pouch yeah. of the time machine. I was like, Oh, I remember that. 
it just mm-hmm. uh, took me right back. Good stuff. There's like an old like um, uh, laundry like ringer, whatever they call it, you know, like where you'd kind of like crank through to press out the water in it. And that's all that's in front of the time machine just to give them like that steampunkiness. <laughs> like, again, I love the homemade quality of everything on the show from his suit to something like that. Yeah, I have to tell you, in rewatching these, that stuff never really bothers me. Or even when nope. the most we get when he's taking off is, you know, <laughs> you know, pulls the cape up, you know, you know, towards the camera and you get the wish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, that doesn't bother me. I, I understand the constraints that they were under. That that's fine. Like I'm I'm cool with that. We've like look, especially at this point, my God, I mean what what they're able to achieve on Superman and Lois in terms of the visual effects and the spectacle of it, what we've seen in the movies. We've seen this stuff, so I'm more concerned mm-hmm. about the the relationships and the, those dynamics. Yep. So that stuff never really the, the me. playing pretend of it again. Like I said earlier, with like when they chose to do their Superman stuff, um, the playing pretend of it that they have to do on a weekly basis. I it it's just it's just comfort food to me. Like it's just it's fun. It's the same way that like when you watch Batman '66 and every villain has the same like death machine box, and it's just like recolored to their you know, motif that week. I'm like, great. It's fine. You know, like, Oh no, they have a death machine box too. Like, what are we going to do this week? (laughs) All right. So we're entering season four now and we have still have three more Tempest appearances. The first one is soulmates, which comes right after. Yeah. Let's just speed right through this one to be honest. I'll be honest. I don't have a ton to say about this one. A ton (laughs) to say about this one. If anything, I more have a question for you. So the setup for this is Poor Lois and Clark, after everything they've been through, it's their wedding night, and all they want to do is finally consummate their relationship, which, side note, it's amazing to me that this didn't happen for these characters until, you know, again, early in the fourth season. Well, let's talk about that real quick on your side note. <laughs> it, they, they get hot and heavy in a few episodes in season three when they're when they're either engaged or or not talking about engagement and dating and that type of thing. Um but then it's it's established in like season or episode 9 or something of season 3 that he is a virgin. Yep. And from then on it is a chaste relationship where like earlier on you're like you're excuse me you're at least doing some hand stuff. Um <laughs> so like that's the only reason. They like kind of they decided to draw a line in the sand for whatever stupid Sunday night family show reason they decided to make him a virgin and make this a sex with sexless relationship until then. And this was just kind of the last way that they could screw with them until they allowed them to go there. Yeah, no, I definitely remember that when when he reveals that he hasn't been with anyone and and yes, I I you know what you're saying definitely lines up with with my memory of this. Uh, so, but you know, what's, what's interesting is watching this the way I did last night, kind of in a vacuum, it didn't really bug me so much, but I feel like watching this after all of the wedding shenanigans, mm-hmm. I mean, especially, you know, having just done this rewatch, how, how did it feel to get to hit this episode when it took so <laughs> long to get them married? And now it's like, these two can't even bang until they get through this whole reincarnation yeah, adventure. Do this mess. This is, this is kind of it's not a good episode but just the setup for it is the kind of thing where i love the show where it's just like you're about to have sex and then your buddy hg wells shows up and is like please don't have sex you're gonna end the world you know like you're you're gonna start a curse it's like 
it's good to see you too. You know, like what, you know, that, that is just kind of the magic of this type of series for me. Again, it's a reason I have a legends of tomorrow podcast where I'm just like, give me the most ridiculous setup you possibly can, and then try to pay it off with character and, and whatever you do with it after. No, I hear you. I will say that. And again, I think this is a a testament to Dean Cain and Terry Hatcher that their frustration, like their character's frustration in not in, you know, you, and I, you know, here's the thing. I really do like this. And I've talked about this in other episodes where, you know, I think there's sometimes this argument against having Lois and Clark be married, like, oh, it removes the tension, this and that. But it's like, no, like these two, like they're hot for each other. Right. And it's great. As, as to, yes, a, a, that, like, I always think of Erica Durant's in the hundredth or 200th episode, excuse me, of Smallville Homecoming, where they cut to the future and, you know, it, Basically, they're in the middle of an episode of Lois and Clark, and she is so horny for him. It's not even funny, but it's just awesome. Like in a in a very like they are married and in love. Um, I think I think it's lame to say that you know getting getting the married brings away the tension. As as married men, there can still be tension, and it can still be interesting. You know, like that doesn't get get rid of anything if anything it brings the stakes up higher so that's just lazy to me um and and here is is kind of a dumb version of it like the the problem with this episode for me is not so much the relationship stuff i like their reaction to hg wells where you know some when things are going badly and hg wells shows up it's like oh thank god when things are going fine and hg wells shows up it's like oh god damn you know like what (laughs) is about to happen. And that's totally what it is here. And it's really fun. Um, this episode breaks the rules of what they kind of set up with Tempest and HG Wells already, where it gets away from the lore of them. It gets away from the, t- the time travel and the sci-fi of it. And it brings it more into fantasy and soulmates and reincarnation and that type of thing. I'm not saying you can't tell that type of story with Superman. I'm saying with these characters, it feels really really out of place agreed totally agreed right because that's the setup here hg wells is like no you you're your soulmates he's you know they try to they try to ground it in some sort of science where he's like i've created a device that tracks soul energy it's like all right and mm-hmm. right and so you know lois and clark's souls are always intertwined they're soulmates but there was this curse that was placed on them in, in a prior life it's very Hawkman, hawk girl-esque yes which i love there yes <laughs> No, I'm with but it you. It kind of takes the magic of what they are away from that for me too. Just the idea that they they've always been intertwined like this. Like, I mean, no, they they're kind of one in a million for me. I agree. And so, you know, we end up in this episode. They sort of travel back and inhabit their past selves in medieval times, and then in the old west. And again, like I said, I don't have a ton to say. But the question I wanted to ask you, and I guess maybe you already answered. We talk about the whole fantasy aspect, but I looked at it more from the the religious or at least spiritual perspective. And the reason why I wanted to, to ask you is because the episode prior where they finally get married, right? <laughs> oh God. They're, they're, You're about to say the word Mike, aren't you? <laughs> I, you know what's so funny? It's I was going to say Sam, but Mike. Uh, 
you know, they're married by who, the per, who seems to be a guardian angel, right? We're never mm-hmm. given an explanation of that. And then to go right Super from Super normal that, stuff. Yeah, exactly. To go right from that into this. Actually, I have two questions. And then and then we'll get into the, the final two-parter and I'll, and I'll let you go and get on okay. with your night here. But these episodes, you know, our no, episodes no, here tend to- pleasure. All right, good. I'm, I'm having so much fun. It's great to be able to talk about all of this. But uh, I guess the- um, the first, actually the first thing, and I'm sure I said this when we did our frog eating clone episode, but it always was so curious to me that they didn't use H.G. Wells to marry them. Oh, that would have been, I never occurred to me, but that would have been wonderful. Like he takes them to, you know, not, not that they would call it the vanishing point, but like I take you to a moment outside of time, <laughs> right? Like where this is a moment outside of time, you know? Yes. And it's like, it's grounded in what's already been established in the, in the show's canon, and if, especially if they were planning to use him in the next episode, I feel like that would have worked nicely. But yeah, at least oh, there would have been, been right. And then at least he's a character we have a connection to, as opposed to Mike, where it's like, oh, he's been here all along, but then we've never seen him. <laughs> yeah, I, I look, I've got nothing informative to say about Mike, the guardian angel, besides I hate him. Um, and I think it was a stupid idea, except I think it was just informed by touch by an angel at the time. And that's that's the closest I've ever gotten to kind of understanding what it was. But yeah, no, that would have been great. Literally anything else would have been wonderful besides <laughs> besides Mike. You know Mike, our good buddy Mike. That's the thing that infuriates me in that episode where everybody suddenly has a connection to Mike and it's just like, wait, is he their guardian angel or is he God? Like, what is this? So uh, as a related note... Um, you know, when I watched the series finale as a kid, it was it was years later, mm. I think, until I actually learned that you know they were planning on a f- on future seasons, right? <laughs> that that wasn't their intended end. Because I think when I watched, because it's kind of not a bad last image for this show to go out on is them having a child. Yeah. Exactly. And I remember as a kid, my speculation was always, well, Mike or God or whatever just gave them a kid. <laughs> and, and I felt like it tracked with what we had sure. seen. This angel or God showed up and married them. And then at the end of the show, gave him a baby, you know. And then years later, I'm really, you know, learning, oh, they had this plan to make it like a Kryptonian prince who was sent to them. Kryptonian who, refugee prince. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who ages rapidly. I'm like, wait, what? It's not Jesus? Like, what? what's going on here? So, <laughs> uh, but but anyway, I guess the, the, um, the, the question that I had, going from Mike to this whole idea of soulmates, Again, I feel like it's it's looking at the two of them together, like really delving into again the spiritual, you know, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. What is your take on that? Do you feel like that was? I mean, I guess maybe I know the answer. I, but. Yeah, you can tell by my attitude. I'm I'm not a religious person, but but just taking that out of this, the or, or spiritual person, to be clear. Um, I I just don't think. I think there's a good way to tell that story. I don't think this was it. I don't think this is the right set of characters to use for that type of idea. Um, it's just kind of a story excuse to do Maid Marian and whatnot. Um, I I might be half remembering this. I believe initially this was supposed to be Lex, which is a little more interesting to me. But um, if nothing else, the fact that this is Tempest speaks to kind of my ongoing theory that like at a certain point here, Tempest became the main antagonist for this series. And there there's never like a quote unquote big bad, like we would define it now for this show um, really past season one where, where Lex was, but 
if ever there was one, it's Tempest. And this kind of speaks to that. Um, but again, at the same time, it's just, it's, it's a dumb way to execute this type of story. Um, if for no other reason, it's completely out of left field and it, it betrays the type of story dynamic we've already set up with these two specific characters, you know, Tempest and HG Wells. Totally. Absolutely. I, I mean, I, I definitely felt the same way watching it. And also, you know, all of a sudden this whole idea of Tempest and past lives being in love with Lois, it's just like, wait, I, so to your point though, I mean, I guess if this were meant to be Lex, that would make a ton more sense. Right. Exactly. But like Tempest has no romantic interest in Lois. He just wants to see her suffer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah our was, Tempest, my Tempest. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you. I do agree with you though. I feel like if you, if you really are looking at the arc of the series, I think Tempest does get the top spot as the mm-hmm. the villain of the show. I think that's very fair to say. And again, it's because of the time travel nature and the knowledge that he knows for being from the future. His plots get to be the big epic ones. If there were big, you know, kind of like story long arcs in the show, they would probably be his for the most part. And that kind of gets you that that, you know, top villain status. Real quick, one thing that I actually really, though I did like, this made me laugh in the episode when they're in the Old West and Clark is the lone rider and then he's a telegraph operator. Uh, You know, when he rescues Lois and he changes into his telegraph operator garb and then, you know, old time Tempest shows up. He's like, oh, how odd that you're out here, you know, miles away from the nearest (laughs) telegraph. (laughs) And then then he looks at H.G. Wells and he's like, I don't even want to know who he is. (laughs) (laughs) It would, that was I, I get there's there's not there's good parts in every episode of, of Lois and Clark, but there's also really stupid parts in it too. And there's the you know the stupid outweighs the good in this particular episode, and it's my least favorite Tempest. Do I understand ratings wise why the minute you have them married, you want to bring back the fan favorite villain in order to keep people watching? Absolutely, and if tracking the ratings like I did on my podcast you can see why that would have been a concern at the time. Let's say that. You know what this reminded me of? Cause I did watch back in the day, Xena and Hercules and they would do those mm. periodic episodes where they're like, you know, reincarnated selves would be in the present day and the, stuff <laughs> like that. That's kind of what it reminded me of. That's interesting. It's the, I have very little understanding of, of Xena and Hercules. Like I saw a couple episodes of Xena as a kid. I don't think I've ever seen Hercules, but that's fun. That's cool. And, and, and yes, I totally get why there, there is that kind of comparison here. All right. So our last two parter here. Now, when I say the name oh. John Doe, what does that conjure within you? I, I, God, he's just a darn nice guy to me. Darn nice guy. Warm, fuzzy feelings yeah. whenever I hear the Warm, name. Warm, fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. Papa's home or whatever it was. Yeah. Very presidential. Papa. Papa. Where the where the kitties or whatever he makes them say. This arc, uh, I said this a lot on my podcast. When this show is funny, it's hilarious. When it thinks it's funny, it's terrible. This is a moment where the show is funny, and it's great. This um, first episode in particular of this two episode arc is written by Tim Minear, later of. He was Firefly showrunner. He wrote on Angel. He was, you know, basically in Whedon Camp, and now he's in Ryan Murphy World. Um, and a, a, a friend of my podcast got to interview him uh, for that. But just, just an incredible TV writer. 
and a very funny and dry dude. And that comes out uh, very clearly in this script and makes it really an enjoyable watch every time. Yeah, this was, this was really a fun two parter. I agree. The first part more I did. And it might've just been that it was getting late. And this was, I watched five episodes in a row last (laughs) night. Yeah. But by the fifth one, I was a little bit like, all right, like wrap this up now. But the the first part was definitely strong. And I really do remember that, Uh, you know, so of course our setup here is that uh, Tempest uh, he's, you know, he's in the, uh, the insane asylum in present day metropolis. And one of the peacekeepers from the future shows up to bring him back and they create this replicant to take his place to not arouse suspicion. Uh, but then of course he gets the drop. All normal things. What you just said. Yes. Yep. Totally. Yeah. 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 (laughs) It all tracks. Uh, and so then he creates, and then he travels through time, right? He goes to the far future and he gets this, uh, you know, basically this hypnosis technology right hypnotic ray of some kind yeah that he's able to beam these subliminal messages through the phone system uh you know across the country and so it implants this suggestion that john doe is a darn nice guy and so he emerges as this uh, last minute write-in presidential candidate going up against fred willard's yeah right in (laughs) yeah fred willard's president gardner who who has already proven himself to be a very stupid man in previous episodes Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> what I loved about this was, as I've said, I'm a you know big fan of the Triangle Era comics and the sort of the mm-hmm. period within that that, um, other than the death of Superman, that really holds a very special place for me. The early 2000s, Jeff Loeb and Joe Kelly were the main writers on the Superman books, and this was President Lex territory. Yeah. And uh-huh. so to see a version there's of that, that where there's a bad guy who Clark knows is a villain who everyone is rallying around. And yes, there's this whole added component of the mind control, but still this whole sense. And, you know, there's that one point where, you know, Lois says to him, like, basically go kick his ass. And he's like, mm-hmm. I'm like Superman can't do that. He's the, yeah. yeah. And it just, it, it really called to mind. I think some of the, really the best themes and beats of the president Lex arc, just his frustration of having to trust in the system and knowing that it's not working. I never really thought about that. That was that was literally when I started. I was subscribed to Superman comics as a kid, based on this show and and based on Batman Loves. And I, I had I had Superman and Batman delivered to my house on a monthly basis because there was no comic book store anywhere close that my mother would drive me to. Um, but yeah, I, like that that was that era for me. I never thought about that, but you're absolutely right. Where this is a little bit of a precursor to that kind of idea um, and gets to play up that same, the same elements. That's really cool. I'd never thought of that. And of course there's the scene where they're Lois and Clark are watching the news footage and uh, John Doe, I mean, have to address it talks about making this country great again. And I'm just like, God damn it. I, I asked Tim Minear about this where I'm like, like, did you have any kind of recognition when when our own idiot president started doing that or presidential candidate at the time and he's like you know like there there's no thought to that like i was writing for reagan basically you know like people have been saying this for years as if it means anything and i'm like yeah that that's that's true but it's 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 a telling little piece of of um of fiction at the time where um you know, a scripted Dean Kane is reacting to that like it's horrible. And then unfortunately he doesn't in real life many years later. 
Um, but yeah, that and uh, and earlier in the Nazi episode too, there's another moment where someone was like, "This guy's trying to make America great again." It's like, oh, Jesus Christ! Like it was always kind of there. Yeah, I, and it was. I, I do say, I have to say though, the the whole you know John Doe is a darn nice guy. It and you know maybe to your point about the show, you know actually being fun, like it it was funny and it was funny when people would repeat it but there was also you know again this undercurrent of of danger and of course lois and clark realized yes. what's going on and it was again this the stakes felt very real again i feel like this was another good balance where this could have been very silly mm-hmm. but you know you felt the stakes at the same time and it keep it keeps the fun of it a hundred percent like this is a really good version of using Mostly Tempest until I think it's not until the second part after Superman's been disappeared that we actually get H.G. Wells. Yes. Um, but it's a really good use of these characters. Um, and like you're saying, like Tempest is written, I think very humorously has some of his best lines in the whole series in these two episodes. Uh, but the thread of it is real, kind of like the idea of the, the, the Lex presidency thing um, to the point where he does the best job anyone's ever going to do of getting rid of Superman on this show in this arc where you kind of, you Phantom zone is fair, but he traps him in like a moment between time and he's, he's getting smaller and smaller. And, you know, if you're going to get, get him, you're going to have to get to the nanosecond of when he was disappeared and and be on the time machine and blah, blah, blah. It's all ridiculous, but it's also pretty foolproof as a villain that that he's able to accomplish this. What falls apart for me in this episode is his plan later on where he's just going to like seemingly nuke the world or like, you know, start start nuking people as he's become president. And he's, he's like literally playing paddle ball as the nuclear football is being armed. And it's like, well, to at this point, to what end, dude? You know, like you're pre- there's no kind of other end game for you here besides just wanton death and destruction like that that's just kind of a betrayal to me but otherwise it's it's fun and he does he does a good job of being a villain who wants to get rid of superman yeah i mean i guess by the time we're at at that point in part two the the alt superman right has been able to to dismantle that uh the the hypnotic device Right, yes. so he knows his control over the people is coming to an end. It's gonna fade, yeah. But it's still, it's like it escalates quickly, right? <laughs> from yes, from that to well, I'm gonna blow it's up a, the world. It's a smidge rushed by the end, but yeah. But um, yeah. but that's also like we're talking about a lot that that we liked um, episode one of this two parter, and I think Tempest is certainly strongest in episode one of this two parter. The second part of it really plays into that alt Superman stuff, the Earth 2 Superman stuff like we were talking about earlier. And he meets the Kents and he and Lois almost kiss or whatever, you know, and and that's all really interesting. And just the fact that this show a season later, the show of, again, questionable continuity, checked back in with that alternate version of Superman. And it's implied by the end of it that like H.G. Wells is going to go help him find his Lois and save her in that world is, is interesting to me. I like that he gets a happy ending. I like that, that they acknowledge like just because our Clark is gone doesn't mean we're completely out of Clark's. Like we can go get this guy and we've established this before. That's interesting. 
I, I'm with you. And especially watching them all in a row the way I did. I mean, that this was an instance where it really tracked, it held up. And you, you know, you watch those episodes together and it's like, okay, yeah, this is the version of the the Earth 2 Clark now more evolved, right? He's he's further mm-hmm. into his career as a superhero. That's that's clear. And there's some great stuff. You know, we already talked about when he meets the the Kens, but you know, when he and Lois are on the street and they're uh, you know, strategizing about what oh. they're gonna do. And that moment where he's like, Oh, is this is this what it's like? Like when this you guys are like? working together, it's like it's nice. There's so much, yeah, it really, it definitely uh, tugs at the heartstrings. He has a lot of mm-hmm. moments like that. This, yeah, that's the thing. It still, you know, definitely feels like the, the, the Clark we know, but, but definitely with this, this air of sadness and, and tragedy mm-hmm. with, with what he's lost. A little more sadness, a little more like innocence in, in a certain way where, where he hasn't quite, you know, kind of gone through all the trials he has. He's also a very different Clark, which they don't explore much in this episode, but like he's a Clark from a world where there is no secret identity at all. People know that Clark Kent is Superman. And that's, I wish, if anything, I wish they kind of explored that a little bit more, but, but uh, they had enough story to deal with here. I agree. That was one thing where I thought we maybe get like a line or two, just like, is he still a reporter? What, you know, how did that play out? Yeah, that would have yeah. been nice to know. That really would have been probably nice not. You know, but probably not. Well, if, you know, if you read the Brian Bendis comics, he's still, you know, when he reveals his identity, well, he's still a reporter. They just fortify the Daily Planet. It's ridiculous. Anyway, <laughs> I've complained about that already. And and over. So congratulations. And I feel very vindicated. I got to tell you. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> and just little things like, you know, Lois gets all these, uh, you know, all, all the snack food, like, you know, Twinkies and Ding Dongs that she knows Clark likes. And he's like, oh, I, you know, like that's not his thing. And, you know, when he goes to change in the closet. Right. Instead of oh, doing the cute. spin move yeah, yeah, and she yeah. calls that out. The Tasmanian and devil move. Yeah. yeah. Which, and, and I'm sure you've talked about this. It makes no sense to me though. I don't like, especially in that oh. instance where he clearly is not wearing anything. He's wearing a short sleeve shirt. Where's the costume? <laughs> oh God. Does he have a short sleeve shirt on? That's funny. Um, <laughs> the thing that always bothers me with, with just, and again, not to be a tempest here, but the thing that's always really stupid to me is like, all right, he was wearing the suit underneath. Where are the boots? He's just got boots under his socks in his in his loafers. Like that's stupid. <laughs> yeah, that's really that that's pushing it. But, but it's fine. I don't care. But no, it's cool. And then, you know, of course, it's the 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 watch that had stopped at the moment of the explosion. And then they're able to use that to pinpoint the exact second to find him. Good thing that clock was on time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that's true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, and then, you know, just uh real quick in part one, I, I do have to say, in the midst of all the Tempest shenanigans and everything, there's still this core of, you know, Clark's having these nightmares about being ripped apart from Lois. And in the nightmare, she's pulled into that time window. And then, of course, when it mm-hmm. plays out in reality, he's the one who goes. But you know, that's really informing a lot of, you know, how he's proceeding through that episode. And it's really this fear, uh, which I thought was, especially now that they're a married couple and, you know, Lois is talking about making her will. And I think just in terms of the relatability, the humanity, these are, you know, this felt very real. Again, and, and I, it's a, it's a show for kids and, and whatever other audience want to put on to it. Like, I understand that, but exactly what you're talking about is kind of that fear of like, as, as someone desperately in love with someone, a few rooms over who's probably not listening. I don't, I don't worry about dying early. I worry about her dying early. I worry about losing her and what, excuse me, what that world will be like. And that's exactly the fear that they're playing into this in that 
that moment. And it's, it's, it's really true to me. Like it's really kind of beautiful and, and nice that the, that they tapped into that. And like, he's not having premonitions or anything. He's just stressed out and, and, and he's envisioning this, this kind of instance where she's taken from him in any way. And that's, that's the worst thing that could possibly happen to him. Yeah. No, listen, I identify with that with respect to my wife and our son. I talk about this a lot on the show, but it's like, as long as they're okay, like I'm whatever, you know, like I'm good either, whatever, like, you know, as long as they're okay, that's the thing. And then, you know, in the next episode, Lois has this great uh, exchange with Alt Clark, where she's talking about how, you know, when you're married to someone, you just kind of take for granted that they're always going to be there. Oh God, I love that speech. Yes. the, The way they, you know, you know, you know, lie next to you on the bed and the sound they make while they sleep. And uh, no joke, last night when I got into bed and my wife was long asleep because I was, again, watching five episodes, <laughs> you know, and I got in bed and it's like, I no joke, and I'm in all seriousness, like I, for a few seconds, like I just looked over, like I listened to her, she was breathing and I was like, yeah, you know, like there's really something to that. So it, it tapped mm-hmm. into something that I think we can all relate to. Uh, very, it was, it was good stuff. Yep. No, I, I come. Completely agree. That's that's the stuff in this episode that works really well. And then Tempest has a few good one-liners. And unfortunately, that's kind of how we see Tempest end in this show. Uh, he gets, you know, at the end of the episode, you know, they, they do save Clark from the Phantom Zone, for lack of a better word. Um, they get rid of Earth 2 Clark, but not before they have him show up and and dissuade the public of President Tempest's whole idea that Clark Kent is Superman because we've got two of them there at the same time. And Tempest is carted away yelling, duh, his catchphrase at the audience. And that's that's what we got. That's the end of Tempest for us. That said, he 100% would have been back in season five. He like Again, if this show was a little bit later in the development of TV, and, and by that I, I kind of mean post- Joss Whedon, like he would have been a series long bad at some point, you know, like he was, he was pivotal to, to this version of the story and what they were doing. Um, And just by virtue of cancellation, this is just kind of the anticlimactic end of him. Agreed. Agreed. No, for sure. I think they're definitely, yeah. Again, we're at the point where we're getting at least one appearance. I mean, well, you know, that's the interesting mm-hmm. thing too. Season four, you get three appearances. So it's like you, three appearances. where we, you know, where we, would we have gotten even more in a potential fifth <laughs> season? Maybe not. You know what though, to your point, when we get to the, to the, <laughs> to the stage here where he wants to nuke the world, maybe there were only so many more places to go. <laughs> maybe we played out a lot of what Tempest is. Yeah. But who knows? He a hundred percent would have come back. Um, there was, there was rumor at the time. I, I, here's the thing. It was early internet when the show ended in 1997. I don't know how much I actually put stock in any of what the rumors were, but there was talk of a Lex Tempest team up, which makes sense to me, which would have been so fun to see those two actors try to outperform each other in a scene, you know, like, I, I would have been a hundred percent there for it, but I, unfortunately we just kind of never got there. The thing that bugs me and I'm sure it's all rights and whatever, and maybe even ties back to the, the Jimmy Olsen uh, issue 98, which I wrote down to try to find after we hang up here. Um, I wish that this character had made it into, had made the Harley Quinn jump, had made it 
into comics. And and obviously, you know, it wouldn't have all been the same tone or whatever, but I think it's an interesting character. Even if you take away certain elements of Utopia and he's just like, maybe he's a, super, a Legion of Superheroes villain who decides like, I'm going to cut, you know, this thing off of the source and stop Superman. That would work for me. You know, whatever version of it. I, I just think he's an interesting added spoke to the wheel that the show introduced that multimedia hasn't really exploited yet. That was actually going to be my, my parting question and you beat me to it. And, and I, I agree. Sorry. No, 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 no. That's, but that's the thing we're on the same page. I'm with you. And I feel the exact same way. It's like, I, as I'm watching these episodes, I'm like, man, it's kind of crazy that you, you didn't see this character made to jump. And like you said, maybe there's an underlying reason for it, but uh, yeah, it feels like there's a missed opportunity here and right. it definitely livened up the proceedings on the show. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't watched or hasn't watched in a while, maybe skip soulmates, but otherwise the other four <laughs> episodes we talked about, I would really say, give them a watch. They're a lot of fun. They're really good. And, and again, not like you were saying, not typical episodes of the show, but a good um, pulse check on what the show is capable of throughout the run of it. My question for you talking about rights and like why he hasn't made the jump uh, makes me think of, um, uh, oh my God, King Tut and Maxi Zeus where, where they're kind of the same character, but, but the aesthetics are, are changed uh, in order to get by copyright essentially. Um, is there a character in the comics where you can point to that has some of this same idea, like, you know, a villain from the future type idea uh, in modern comics, or is this just still kind of an untapped concept? I mean, like there are definitely time traveling villains. Of course, as I'm saying this, I'm like blanking on. (laughs) Sorry. We're late to, we're late on the West coast. We're very late on the East coast. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's I, again, the, the thought had crossed my mind, I guess. Definitely, there are time traveling villains, but I, and an audience, listen, open the floor to you. Uh, you know, <laughs> reach out. I guess I'm I'm hard pressed to think of someone who would really who I would really say is like this is a pretty close analog to this character. Mm. Like I don't really see that. It's certainly, in terms of that characterization, and at the same time, I don't know. I think so much of this was wrapped up, of course, in that performance. And so, as much as it's like, oh, we would love to see the character, I don't know, but I think it's worth a shot. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of the performance, we haven't talked about kind of the biggest rumor that's out there that comes from a Lane Davies interview recently. Do you know who Lane Davies says they initially wanted to cast in this role? All right, I was going to let this go because we just passed two hours, but you brought it up and it's worth mentioning. I actually came across this because I was just searching on Twitter last night. I was like, oh, what? Yeah. Like among people I follow, like what, what's been said about Tempest? And our our, our mutual friends, the all-star super fan uh, podcast, mm. I believe they had a tweet that originally this was offered or intended for Christopher, Christopher Reeve. Reeve. Has Christopher that been confi- Reeve. So you said that comes from a Lane Davies interview. This, co- um, what is the name of that podcast? I'm so sorry. Uh, comic book central, I think um, where they, they had him. Apparently he responded to their emails. Um, but uh he said like he came in kind of late in the casting process because it was going to go to Christopher Reeve and, and he wasn't able to do it. I forget if would this have lined up with the accident? I don't know. When did, when was his accident? But maybe not for whatever reason, Christopher Reeve couldn't do it. And, and Leah Davies got the tap, but I, I think Christopher Reeve is a 
fantastic actor capable of many things. It's just, I, I, it's hard for me to picture him in this type of role. It's also weird to me that like, you're going to get Christopher Reeve on your Superman show and you're going to burn him as this villain specifically, like not someone from the comics, not a Jarrell, not, you know, not something in that vein. It's, it's weird to me. Um, Smallville in fairness uses him as an original character, but to great effect, I think where this is a very different tone. Totally. So his accident was May 95. So the first episode of this, I think aired in 95 earlier. No, they would have, they would, yeah, sorry. It, it would have aired in 95 in like March, I think. So they would have shot it in like January. So it doesn't quite add up, but interesting. But I did come across that. That that really is kind of mind boggling. But yeah, uh, yeah, kind of a kind Again, of a crazy I don't if. know how much I trust stuff like this from back in the day, even though it's coming from Lane Davies. Who knows what he was told on set? I, I really like it's, I'm just caveating because I don't know, but. It's an interesting idea, if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, look, it's, it's one of these things where maybe there was a thought of having him, right? Maybe someone had the idea. Sure. Maybe they they even made it, you know, there was some sort of outreach. But as far as whether, you know, how real it actually was or how likely, I, I don't know. But, yeah, uh, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. I mean, people might be surprised because I think we, we bounced off each other very nicely. This is the first time you and I have ever spoken. This was an absolute pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> no, really was, thank was you so much. Um, I, I heard of your podcast, uh, to be completely honest, the first time you had when you had Zach on. Um, and and I've, I, 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 you know, I'm not as big a student of the comics as perhaps I should be, but uh, I, I've loved your show and what you've heard. And um, just having listened to it, I knew that this would be a nice conversation. You have a perfect radio voice. Um, and, and I just, I, I hope I... Uh, I hope I did well for you. I, I was I was a little nervous coming on tonight, to be honest with you. I, I'm I'm a fan, so this was a pleasure, dude. Thank you. Listen, all all right back at you, and this was fantastic. I you know I uh, and I appreciate all of that, and I, I appreciate Zach. You know, there've been a lot of there've been a number of instances where <laughs> I know some people have found me through him, others have found him through me. Uh, you know, he has a number of guests, yourself included, have come my way through him. So I'm very he's grateful. really. I mean, I I am currently the host of one of his podcasts, Always Hold On to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. And I met my co-host on that because he was like, hey, I had this this woman, Trisha, on my podcast and she talked about a lot about Lois and Clark. You guys should hook up. And he put us in a chat and that was kind of the end of it. And years later, we're co-hosting a podcast. So you never know. He's good at, at doing that kind of podcasty network thing. Yeah, and you know, not to make this all about Zach, but I will sing his praises for one moment more. Yeah, and enough. He, in that, he doesn't need it. No, but in all fairness, it's like you know, his his always hold on to Smallville, so successful, right? He's done he's done so mm-hmm. well with it, and has a has a great audience, and he's reached a lot of people. And it, it would be if he was just like, hey, I'm doing my own thing, like, and that's it. It would Fine. be understandable, yeah. but he really makes these connections when he doesn't have to, and that's very nice and very appreciated. So uh, you know, shout out to him. And, uh, and I want to ask you about always, always hold on to legends, but I, I just, the last thing before that is just, um, you know, I know you spent, you know, an entire podcast series right, <laughs> talking about this. Um, but you know, I don't 
you know, it's rare for me to be able to talk, not to be able to, I mean, I could do more episodes on it, but you know, there's only so many spots for it. And so it's rare for me to have this opportunity to have an extended conversation about Lois and Clark. So this was like really a treat. I really, really enjoyed this. So thank you. No, thank you. And it, again, it's, it's the one that it and Superboy are the one that get ignored a lot. Um, which like I say like it's my show. It's not my show, but I I, I love it. It's what brought me into this. Sorry, I've got cats freaking out. That's okay. Um, it's what brought me into this comic book world, uh, and specifically the Superman character, and and made me kind of fall in love with him like we do. Um, so I just like I just like seeing that it gets love, and it's it's on HBO Max. Everybody, if you have a fond memory of it, if if any of what we just talked about, um, you know, struck your fancy, if you're listening to this uh, podcast, you have an HBO Max subscription, so check some out. It's it's in beautiful HD right now. Enjoy it while it lasts. Yeah, I know. Probably won't be there for long, but I know they do look great. Um, but so, yeah. so Lois and Clark, the new podcast of Superman, obviously you concluded your rewatch. All those episodes are out yes. there on all major podcasts. All those platforms. episodes, including a um, abridged kind of read through that we did for charity, uh, towards the end of the series, uh, I, the episode's called Tempest and Herb, um, but it's it's a read through of the script of Tempest Fugitive with with all the friends and and Zach Moore included playing Clark. So definitely check that out. And then, like we've been saying, you are now currently hosting Always Hold On to DC's Legends of Tomorrow. So <laughs> in the grand tradition of Always Hold On to Smallville, Always Hold On to Arrow, and so on, we now have this. And you guys, the so you and, and Trisha, so the approach is you like you roll the dice, right? As far as what you do, so you don't yes. go chronologically. We're taking it as seriously as the legends would take it um, <laughs> themselves. Anybody that watched that show, it's it's a time travel show that that just jumps all over the place. So after we did the pilot. Uh, we started rolling a, a D8 and a D20 for all you D&D nerds out there. And um, literally at the end of every episode, the the fates tell us what our next episode will be. And it's been really, really fun so far because watching that show in order would be fun, but um, it really doesn't get going until season three. Like, let's be completely honest. So just a conceit for a, a podcast like that where we get to talk to the initiated about the show as a whole throughout it. Even when we're in a season one episode, we can reference season seven or whatever. Like that's been really fun. I love that. I think it's such a cool approach and I agree with you. I I'll be honest. I did not make it all the way to the end of the show. I tapped out right after crisis, but I, I agree that that's how the legends themselves would probably approach it. So I think it's perfect. Yeah, exactly. Totally worth your time. If nothing else, at least listen to our season five, six and seven coverage. Yes, uh, yes. If, if if nothing, I, at some point maybe I'll go back. I'll see. But uh, and that's available on all major podcast platforms as well. Correct? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anywhere you're you're finding this, or at least uh, always holding a small field we're at. All right. Awesome. Well, Matt, thank you again. This really was uh, was an absolute blast, and it was great meeting you. Great meeting you. I hope we get to do this again sometime. I. I think that's a safe bet. So, uh, so, so thank you, Matt. Thank you audience. As always, I really appreciate it. I hope you are enjoying our electric to 1 million event. It's been a blast so far. We have a lot more to come. Make sure you come back next week. And as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This show is part of the flat squirrel podcast network home to digging for kryptonite. Another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman summoning the Zords and my comic shop history available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. 
Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all 